Nation, Red Pill. You know us, just two guys going beyond conspiracy theories, getting right into the heart of the conspiracy itself. I'm Jason Spears with my co-host Christopher Dean. Hello there. Join us as we go behind enemy lines to reveal the truth about another aspect of this occult matrix as we discuss in this week's Intel Briefing, the film over your eyes, the Star Wars saga. Star Wars has impacted the way we watch and make films for generations, but has its influence been contained merely to Hollywood and the cinema, or has its storytelling been a force helping to take our culture to the dark side? We're going to talk about that and much more coming up right here on Operation Red Pill, the film over your eyes. Ladies, gentlemen, Jedi hopefuls, and Sith Lord rejects. Everyone from across the galaxy, I mean Podverse, welcome back to another segment of the film Over Your Eyes, where we try to help you see the subtle messaging embedded in popular TV shows and films, many of which have contained content that is aimed at reprogramming your mind so you think less like Christ and more like Satan. Now, we have got a galaxy's worth of stuff to get up into today. We're going to talk about the deep roots of spiritual corruption found in the Star Wars saga, why Lucasfilm targeted a specific demographic, and how that targeted demographic impacted Star Wars' meteoric rise. And we're going to cover the mischaracterization of the Holy Spirit behind a very popular Star Wars mantra. But before we get into all of that, we got to deal with first things first. And that means welcoming my co-host, Christopher Dean. How's it going, bro? What's happening, baby? How we doing today? We're doing good. Doing good. I'm glad I'm not a Sith Lord reject. (laughs) Oh, those are the worst. When you can't be a Jedi hopeful, you got to become a Sith Lord. And if you get rejected from that, there's no hope for you. What are you going to do? Be a gym teacher, I guess. I guess that's all you can be at that point. (laughs) Or, you know, maybe you could become some sort of a a, a drone. Because I hear there's there's popular openings for drones all you got to do is be able to go (laughs) that's all they do that's how they sound that's exactly how they sound exactly (laughs) i think that was a spot-on rendition they ought to hire me at lucasfilms i thought you were playing a clip Uh, you know what personally i thought so too i was looking for the credits oh that's great christopher Listen, are you prepared for tomorrow? Yes. Okay, see, but when I say that, I don't mean your eternal soul. I'm not asking if you know where you're going to be tomorrow, if you should die. I am asking, are you prepared for this most auspicious and even some might claim a high holy day for those Star Wars aficionados? You know, May 4th. Oh, that is a day for the Star Wars geekers, is it not? It is. It is. I mean, I believe they run around going, may the 4th be with you. Yeah, it is a thing. Once we looked on the calendar and saw where it fell, we knew what we had to do. We had to go on ahead and do one of these film over your eyes where we peel back the Star Wars saga. Yeah, no better time than this. That's what I'm thinking. You know. This is a sacred cow for a lot of people. Myself included. Wait a minute. This, this is one of yours? It, it used to be. Okay. It's been, 
it's been a really long, painful journey away I, from it. I hear you, man, because we, we've had a lot of uh, listeners get a hold of us and tell us, you know, there's certain movies they don't want us to touch. Mm-hmm. You know, TJ, a longtime listener, he's been a pretty vocal opponent to us touching anything having to do with Batman. Uh oh. I figure it just puts Batman on the chopping block. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. He's in line. You know, but Batman's got a pretty loyal following, but it pales in comparison to the Star Wars following. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't call it a following. The Star Wars cult. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know what it is about these people and their level of devotion to the Star Wars saga. It's weird. Like, even prepping for this episode, I'd gone back and my wife and I had watched some of the episodes and I'm looking up stuff and I'm, I find myself slowly going, you know, it's not that bad. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, there's no reason for us to do a whole episode on it. I mean, one or two little things here, we can, we can scrub that out. But there's no need to dig deep on this. This this is this is almost like apple pie and beer. This is an yeah. American staple. At the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Hennessy and weed. Not that I would know. Right. You just you've heard. I've heard there's a, a demographic of people that happen to enjoy those two in a, in a wonderful combination, so they say. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. You know, it's funny, man. Star Wars even plays a bit of a role in our friendship. It does. You know, back when I first met you, I think one of the things that really had me raise an eyebrow and talking to you and appreciate your intellectual proudness. And at the same time, dislike you as a human being (laughs) was when we got to talking about movies. Yes. And we, we had moved to this conversation. I think we'd already had some, uh, existential conversations on, you know, the exegetical merits of scripture and whatnot, you know, icebreaker type stuff when you're trying to get to know somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And then we move into this whole thing on movies. And I was amazed that you could keep up when we were talking about movies until I made the unfortunate miscalculation of revealing <laughs> my internal feelings when it comes to star Wars. And it was like I stepped on a, a bouncing Betty. For those who are not familiar with military nomenclature, that is a landmine that pops up out of the ground and blows you apart. And that is what Christopher Dean proceeded to do with every objection I gave to him as to why I had an issue with Star Wars. Right. Hey, I let you come in and restructure all of my thinking theologically, upset my entire life. But hey, don't touch Star Wars. <laughs> oh, it was so funny. But I will tell you what. What caused me to tip my hat off to you was the fact that as I told you what I didn't like or what issues I had with Star Wars, you not only listen, but you were actually able to provide a very strong conceptual uh, response that helped change my perspective a bit. And when I wasn't fully convinced, you went the extra mile and actually bought in your full special edition Star Wars blu-ray dv or blu-ray set to work to let me borrow Mm -hmm. and told me i could hold on to it as long as i needed to to get through it and then recommended the order in which i watched the films i remember that most people don't do that with with their regular set of movies let alone (laughs) 
the actual collection that they've they they value the most. Okay. So I said, hmm, we dealing with a different type here. He's officially psychotic. Only a psychopath would do that. <laughs> Only. That's Only. it. That's it. But no, man, every time I think of Star Wars, that's one of the things my mind goes back to. That's cool. And I, I wished as we were talking about it then that we had known some of the things we know now because I think it would have made it a more robust and interesting conversation. Although it was it was pretty much starting to exceed my capacity at the time. We could just went on ahead and just blew past everything. Oh, that's funny. Something I've been I've actually thought about a lot in doing this that I haven't thought about for years is I remember as a young a youngling, we went camping at Deer Creek. What are you, a goat? Uh, a youngling? <laughs> well, that's what they call like the the little Jedi's. In Star Wars. I knew that. That was a test. Yeah. And you, you passed. Good job. <laughs> but I remember going camping and at a beach, I ran into this other family, you know, because the kids end up playing together, children end up playing together, whatever. But I ended up quickly surpassing conversation with the children and I go straight to the dad. And I'm like under 12 at this point. Okay. And, and we're having serious, theolog- not theological, but like deep philosophic conversations about Star Wars. I believe it. Knowing you and what I know now, I can clearly see it. And several times he was like, wow, you really know your stuff. <laughs> right? I, I've, I've been in that dad's shoes. I know what that feels like. That's uh, wild. I bet, yeah. though, if you have been able to take what we know now and I want to say retrograde, but travel back to that mm-hmm. moment and, and talk with the guy. I imagine one of the things you might've said to him that would have blown his mind is the idea that whatever we're seeing on film is the combination of three distinct storylines. The first one being the main story. That's the plot, subplot characters, all of that. If you go look up a movie You get on Google, you get to Wikipedia, you're reading the write-up on that. That's basically telling you the main story breakdown. Then you have a second layer of storytelling that's going on, which is themes and ideas. And this is happening pretty much in the mid-ground. And this is where if you get into YouTube breakdowns, let's say you get to Screen Crush or you're over new rock stars and you're seeing some of the breakdowns that they do, they take apart the thematic elements of a film. But the most important part that we argue about here uh, on Operation Red Pill is what's happening in the background, and that's the spiritual messaging. This is where you need biblical-based analysis, such as from the folks at LED Ministries or, you know, the guys here at ORP, who actually break down the spiritual messaging that's lurking in the background and truly influencing the overall scope of the film. Yeah. I don't know if that guy would have kept talking to me if, if this 10, 11 year old was like, so before we get into all that, let me, <laughs> let me tell you, there's three layers to this thing. I'd have buried you in a sandcastle and walked away. You'd have been upside down. <laughs> and three layers this. Bloop. You would, uh, help. <laughs> help. I'm like, yeah, may the force help you out, homie. <laughs> I walked away. Oh, Annoying man. as that one is. I'd have done my best Yoda. <laughs> I reckon 
that there may be a few people who would appreciate a quick wrap up, quick synopsis, if you will, on Star Wars. No one does. 
find you. Long have I waited. And now... You're coming together. Is your undoing. What, uh, what are you doing there, 3PO? Taking one last look, sir. At my friends. Confronting fear is the destiny of a Jedi. Your destiny. You ready to go? You oh, want to yeah. go see it right now? Let's go. Yeah, we can End go of ahead. episode. <laughs> we, we can cut the message right here and go ahead and roll out. Episode's mm-hmm. over. Oh, I'm ready. That's hilarious. Well, Star Wars is an epic space opera multimedia franchise created by the likes of George Lucas over at Lucas Films, which began with the eponymous 1977 film and quickly became a worldwide pop culture phenomenon. Now, the franchise has been expanded into various films, roughly, I think about 11 films and other media, including television series, video games, novels, comic books, theme park attractions and theme areas comprising an all encompassing fictional universe. Star Wars is actually one of the highest grossing media franchises of all time. Be that as it may, there still may be some of us that have not seen any of these films or who have seen some of the films and other Star Wars-related media, but don't have a good idea what it's about. You know, folk like me. So for those of you who are like me, please stand by. In a galaxy far, far away. The Star Wars Saga. Read by Jason Spears. The blackest of the Jedi Knights. <laughs> and magnanimously, the overseer of Sith Lord Regents. We join our young Negro Padawan friend on the Lone Island of Ohio and then joined by his sidekick, the one and only Christopher D. As we discuss this week's episode, Star Wars. The Saga. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I thought you'd get a kick out of that. Yeah, that was amazing. That was all one take. <laughs> I, I think it's pretty well, good. I saw, 
Yeah, I saw Violet Pat. I was like, oh, I didn't notice that before. I wonder what that means. <laughs> and then, boom. Right, out of right. nowhere, right? That was amazing. Oh, that's hilarious. Okay, sorry, ladies and gentlemen. I do have a, a jovial side to my personality. Anyhow, the Star Wars saga predominantly follows the Skywalker bloodline as it is situated smack dab in the middle of a battle between good and evil or the light and dark sides of the force, a battle which plays out between Jedis and the Sith. Chronologically, we begin with Qui-Gon Jinn, played by Liam Nielsen, and Obi-Wan Kenobi, played by Ian McGregor. Both men are Jedi, which are practitioners of the light side of the force. Both of these Jedis are visiting the Queen of Naboo, played by Natalie Portman. The Queen is in dire straits. They find themselves bartering for ship parts on a planet far outside the governmental reach of the Republic. There, they find a strange boy of immaculate conception named Anakin Skywalker, played by a very young Jake Lloyd. The Jedi believe Anakin may be the fulfillment of a prophecy that would bring balance to the Force. Now, this idea of balance or duality is a major theme within the Star Wars saga. Both Jedi suspect that Anakin might be the chosen one. The Jedi Council, whose headquarters is on the capital planet of the Republic, takes young Anakin in and appoints Obi-Wan as Anakin's mentor or master, thus making Obi-Wan responsible for Anakin's training as a young Jedi. As Anakin grows in age and ability, his character is then played by Hayden Christensen. He develops a sanctioned romantic relationship with Natalie Portman's character, the once queen, now senator, Padme. The young Skywalker also develops a father-son relationship with the Supreme Chancellor Palpatine, played by Ian McDermott, who is actually the ultimate villain of the Star Wars saga, for he is the master of the Sith. Now, the Sith are practitioners of the dark side of the Force. Again, notice the duality here. And they are the arch-rivals of the Jedi. Through clever political maneuvering, Supreme Chancellor Palpatine graduates from the leader of the Republic to the emperor of the newly created Galactic Empire. This monumental shift destroys most of the Jedi Order and forces the new remaining Jedi into hiding. Anakin, who has slowly been manipulated and corrupted by Palpatine, joins the dark side becoming the infamous Darth Vader. At the same time, Anakin's wife Padme dies while giving birth to their twins Luke and Leia. Fearing that Darth Vader may find his children and turn them back to the dark side, a small band of rebels hides the twins in different places without the knowledge of their dark family history. Now fast forward about mm, 20 years or so. Luke Skywalker, played by Mark Hamill, in a kind of coming-in-age story, has to not only move from being a farm boy on a desert planet, but he also has to realize who he is, learn that he has a sister, and above all of that, he has to confront his father, the most feared person in the universe, Darth Vader. Luke connects with his father's former master, Obi-Wan, now played by Alec Guinness, and joins forces with a smuggler named Han Solo. That's not with an S, it's not Han Solo, like Hans Gruber from Die Hard. No, it's Han Solo, played by Mr. Harrison Ford. They find and rescue Luke's sister, Princess Leia, portrayed by Carrie Fisher, who ends up being the leader of the entire rebel alliance against the Empire. Luke Skywalker trains as a Jedi, and with the help of the rebels, he confronts his father, Darth Vader, 
played by David Prost and voiced by the illustrious James Earl Jones. Luke not only helps to change Darth Vader back to the light side of the Force, but goes on to kill the Dark Lord Emperor Palpatine as well. Now fast forward again, the forces of darkness don't give up as Princess Leia's son falls to the dark side following the events of a tragic training incident and it becomes Kylo Ren, played by Adam Driver. Now Ren, who tries to follow in his grandfather Darth Vader's footsteps of tyranny and evil, becomes a major villain within the Star Wars saga himself. Our new hero again rises from a desert planet. However, this time in her journey of self-discovery, Rey, played by Daisy Ridley, finds that she's not a Skywalker she once thought, but rather a Palpatine, a descendant of the late Dark Lord and Emperor himself. Rey and Kylo Ren join forces and fight the emerging darkness that is the demented Dark Lord Palpatine, who coincidentally is trying to regain his place in the realm of the living. Ultimately, the light side wins, bringing what many hope to be a lasting balance to the Force. The end. Yo, roll credits. Not bad, bro. For nine different movies, that was a good breakdown. I thought I did a fairly decent job there. I had a little bit of help from Star Wars experts. You know, we keep them on <laughs> retainer. Got to, got to. So after after all that, what is what is your takeaway of the saga? Like, what do you think about it? But not just your personal opinion. We got to filter it through the Operation Red Pill bucket of popcorn rating system. Would you give it an empty bucket, a half bucket, a full bucket, or that sweet buttery bucket? Um, if I have to go either, you know, empty, half, full, or buttery for the entire saga, I'm really torn um, across it. And because of that, I, I guess I'd have to say a half bucket for the whole saga. Okay. If we were to break the saga up into, you know, the old films and the new films, it, it would be a different story. Okay. Well, well, give me that one real quick then. Um, let me, this is going to probably upset a lot of star Wars fans, but I would say, what is it from episode one? Was it one through six? Well, yeah, but the the first three, like yeah, there's time the first three, wise, and then there was the next three that were released that were actually the very first episodes because George Lucas right. opens this up the Star Wars saga with Episode Four, right? Yeah. Okay. So I would say those six films, I would call that the first set. Okay. Those I would give an empty bucket. Empty bucket empty. for all six. They really do nothing for me. Okay. Um, but when it comes to the next, what is it, three? Three or four? No, uh -huh. it, no it's five because there are 11 films now. So I would have to give those probably a full bucket. I actually really mm -hmm. enjoyed them. So you're, you're counting uh, the episode seven, eight, and nine, and then Rogue One and Han Solo, right? Is that the idea? Yeah. Okay. And you give them a full bucket? I would. I actually enjoyed them. Like I remember okay. when they when they came out with the uh when when Disney announced, I believe Disney had bought Lucasfilm by this point and announced that they would be doing more Star Wars, I was kind of excited. Like maybe I'll be able to get on this Star Wars kick and appreciate it for my generation. And this will be new stuff because I'm not really feeling the old stuff. Even the the you know, the episode one through one through three. Not even feeling okay. those. 
So when I, I remember going to the theater and watching them, it seemed to always be released in December, my birthday month. It's kind of cool. I go to the theater, watch that. And they they didn't really disappoint. And if I saw them on TV now, I kind of like, this is actually pretty decent. It's not bad. It, it kind of hits the way I expect a movie to hit. But I'm not okay. a Star Wars aficionado. So I understand for some true fans, they don't like the later films, which always saddens me a bit because it makes me feel like I'm a I'm a noob. You know, like like only the softies of the soft would like these new crap. This is not a classic. Unfortunately, when it comes to Star Wars fans, I would say that Star Wars probably has one of the worst fan bases. Really? Why would you say that? Because they're mean and hateful and, and and there's no room for discussion. Like you either believe what I believe or or you're you're too dumb to even be in this conversation. Yes, yes, I have ran into many of them. I would agree. <laughs> and I find myself bouncing back and forth a little Between bit. Between there? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. What would you give it? Well, an older version of myself would have been like two buttery buckets. Okay, for the whole saga? For the whole saga. Okay. Two buttery but, buckets. I don't think anything's ever reached that. <laughs> no, but... You know, the, the Bible says that when when we become an adult, we put away childish things, right? Hey man, it does, it does. So the more I learn about the actual story that it's telling and the actual spiritual war that we're in, mm-hmm. man, this thing is, has slipped from buttery bucket to full and is, is teetering on the bottom end of full bucket into half for the whole thing. I could appreciate that. Like, I haven't gone back and watched these films from that perspective even in preparing this episode you prepared a lot of the notes for it you know we were divided Mm -hmm. up on our on our task but a a lot of it um fell to you and to your knowledge base so i haven't had a chance to to run back and watch it from the standpoint of breaking it down the way we we would do now um not all of the films be that as it may i think the the latter set of films the reason i liked them it's because they moved me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember like the X-Wings coming across. Like the X-Wings look so cool now. And the the ultra high def movie screens. I'm like, oh, that feels like an X-Wing. The way I would imagine it. Okay. You know, when I see the, I don't know what these are called. I'm going to be the best noob when it comes to Star Wars. <laughs> so I call these the, the Dorito ships. Okay. They're the gray triangular ships that show up that are really huge. They have the three the three rocket uh, blasters in the back. Oh, Star Destroyers? Yeah, Dorito ships. Dorito ships. Okay. Yes. When the Dorito ships show up. <laughs> we we should if we had the time, we should make like a legend of this this is what Jason's actually talking about. Dorito ship and then have the actual picture of the thing. That would be a great, great Patreon release, wouldn't it? It would be. Oh my gosh. You know what's funny is people are gonna start saying it. Like Dorito ship. I do see what he's talking about. They look like a gray Dorito. Yeah. But when they show up, uh, because of the the technology that's developed in filmmaking and storytelling, you get a better sense of their size mm-hmm. and how epically huge they are, right? I, I didn't get that in the first set. So Yeah. Go ahead. Well, that type of stuff visually moves me, and I'm very visually motivated and influenced. 
So when I see that, it helps to get me into that story at a much deeper level than just what I watched in the original set. Okay. I think that's one of the reasons I appreciate it a little bit more. I also like the change of characters or the actors, not characters, but the change of actors. Okay. That's fair. I mean, I, I love the, the last three movies. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. The um, seven, eight, and nine, I really liked. I really, I've watched probably Rogue One more than any of the other ones as far as recent movies. The Han Solo movie, eh, I, I could take it or leave one. it. Uh, it it was weird for me. I don't know why. Interesting. I thought that one was more kind of like um, fun and sporty. And it had the adventure aspect to it. Plus, I enjoyed seeing these old characters that I kind of knew from their young, different origin story perspective. Okay. Like, I would have never been scared of Chewie if I hadn't seen him in the pit. When Han Solo met him, I was like, yo, Chewie is scary. <laughs> like, I always thought yeah. he was just that dude who's like, <laughs> you have no idea how long I had to practice that. I was like, wow, that's spot on. <laughs> I can call Chewie from across the galaxy. <laughs> but f- for me, like, I was introduced to Star Wars as um, as a young child. But it hit me in a couple different ways. One, my older brother was all about it, had all the figures and everything. So I had this like it's it's a little bit too advanced for me. So it's like the cool thing that adults do. And my older brother was doing it. So that was kind of my foot into the door. And then I even did a, a report on George Lucas when I was in school. Really? Yeah, to find out that he was the one that actually wrote the um, the character of Indiana Jones. And I think he was a part of The Land Before Time and American Graffiti. And so it was – it was my first step into like adult movies, but then it was also my first step to behind the scenes of movies. Okay. So like, um, like just getting into all of this in the, in the original, before they changed it, there's um, when they're on the planet, the snow planet. Uh-huh. I don't know if you remember. And then Luke gets attacked by this monster. Nope. Well, originally when they shot it, they didn't have money to be able to, make that creature. It's called a wampa. Okay. So George Lucas talked about how there's a creative way that you can shoot the whole scene and make it kind of scary without ever seeing the monster. And that takes a certain level of um, cinematography and skill, right? Mm-hmm. But he always hated the fact that you couldn't see it. Okay. So he, so when they did the special edition, he goes in and they actually put the monster in. So this is like, as a kid, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of absorbing all of this, right? Interesting. And even at a young age, I realized that it's a lot of the the mystery of Star Wars is what keeps kept the fans together. Like there was some novels, but there was really just these three movies and it was weird because it was four, five, and six. And you didn't really know what happened before and you didn't know what happened after. So just all this mystery kept everyone talking and theorizing. and Really? And I, yeah, it was really, really cool. And as much as we wanted to see it on the big screen, even being a youngster, I was like, if they come out and tell us exactly how this is, it's going to negatively impact this this fan culture because we're not going to be able to have these discussions anymore. And sure enough, episodes one, two, and three come out and tell all the story that everyone wants to see and everybody hates it because it ruins their their fantasy, right? Really? It didn't uh-huh. for me. See, I came in, I, I guess, wrong place, wrong time. 
Because my <laughs> problem with Star Wars was that it had what I felt was like a Tarantino feel where it doesn't tell me the story chronologically. So because I, I can't understand really what's happening because George Lucas decided to release it in the middle of his storytelling for reasons I don't even understand. Mm-hmm. I'm sitting there irritated because I, I don't really have the contextual framework I need to place this. Okay. So when he came out with one, two, and three, I was like, finally. But I'm irritated that four, five, and six have been out for so long, and you didn't have the common sense to just throw one, two, and three in at the beginning. Like, why start me in the middle of the story? <laughs> I hated that. Ironically, yeah. though, I was a fan of George Lucas. Were you? Yes, I really appreciated George Lucas, but it had nothing to do with Star Wars. I was introduced to George Lucas under, do you remember when you would go to the theater and you would see that THX? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You remember the sound, right? Yep, yep. Me being a sound guy, as soon as I saw THX, I knew the sound was going to be superb. THX certified. I was like, yeah, here we go. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't even know what this movie's about, but it's going to sound delicious. Okay. Then I found out he was the one that set the standard for THX, which became an industry standard. He set the sound standard for that through his company, Lucasfilm. And I was Mm -hmm. like, who is this guy? Because they started incorporating that standard into high-end headphones for the consumers. Okay. Like, if this thing is THX certified, you know, you're getting premium sound. I was like, yeah. And then found out that this geeky-looking guy created this superb sound standard. I was like, that's pretty interesting. Then I found out he also wrote Star Wars, and I was bummed. <laughs> and wanted to get my headphones back. That's funny. But See, you actually told me that some of his creativity like that carried over into his filmmaking processes. What do you mean? I think you were telling me about the, what is it, like the hovercraft or like the, the bike they have that hovers, the hover bike. Mm-hmm. Okay, speeder. The, yeah. But how they didn't have the technology for the hover bike, right? They didn't have the technology to actually do that. So in order to make it look like it was hovering, I think you said they took like Vaseline or petroleum jelly and smeared it along the bottom part of the lens. So yeah, it for would Luke look Speeder. blurry. Uh-huh. Yeah. And for the anti-gravity look and all of that. And I was like, that's right. actually pretty clever. Because again, this happened in 1970s, right? Late 70s, early 80s, depending on which film we're talking about. Uh-huh. That's pretty clever filmmaking when you don't have CGI. Yeah, they just changed the way that you shot movies because he had so many creative ideas like that. Right, and they were what what the industry would call practical effects as opposed to special effects or computer-generated images. And it takes a lot of creativity to do that. So I could tip my hat off to him for that. Yeah, and I mean, as much as, I mean, there's a lot of things I dislike about him. He's a tinkerer like you are. Uh, wait, you know, whoa, 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 <laughs> yeah, you, you want to go back and retweet that last statement, my friend? <laughs> so he's a tweaker, like you are. <laughs> that is sounds that like better? he's on drugs, no, <laughs> and I'm not on drugs either, just for the record. But we, we talked about, because you like to constantly tweak things and see if we can make it better, his desire to tweak and make things better impacted the way that he handled Star Wars. 
when it was his to handle before he sold to Disney. Okay. So, but so before from a from a child whose idea of Star Wars got cemented in a box, he was a very agitating force. Because he's like, because he was changing things, but he was in one sense making them better. So since I've known you, I can actually appreciate those changes that have made been made to Star Wars. So you know, like I need to thank George Lucas for preconditioning you to be able to accept progressive changes to make something better in the creative process. George Lucas should thank you that I don't hate him anymore. That's that's how it should go. I'll roll with it. Uh, so yeah, it just, it has me really be able to appreciate the things that he, that he's done. Like they would. So what's one thing? Anakin was actually played by Hayden Christensen in the, in episodes two and three. Yep. So they actually CGI'd his spirit in the end of return of the Jedi, because that was like the good version of Anakin that we remember over top of the character that played him originally. So a lot of people were like, why would you take the original character out? You know, there's all this kind of weird hurt feelings. But I was like, it actually makes sense. You have to kind of let go of your, you know, we said sacred cow and be able to appreciate this refining process that's happened. But I did want to highlight a really creative thing. I don't I don't know all the details behind a lot of movies, but it's interesting that the, I have two examples here and both of them are from the creative mind of George Lucas. Okay. So Steven Spielberg actually did the Indiana Jones movies, but Steven Spielberg was talking to George Lucas about wanting to have a type of superhero that didn't have special abilities. And George Lucas is like, oh, well, I have this character. So that's where the the idea of Indiana Jones actually came from the mind of George Lucas. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. And if you watch the, I believe it is the last, oh, why is it escaping me? The Last Crusade. Indiana Jones. Okay. Um, a young version of Indiana Jones uses a bullwhip and busts his chin open. Do you remember this? Nope. Never got into the Indiana Jones uh, franchise. Okay. The reason they do this is because Harrison Ford, who plays Indiana Jones as an adult, has a scar on his chin. And when they had an opportunity to film him younger, they went ahead and put the incident in to map how his face actually looks in the future. Okay, wait a minute. So this Indiana Jones movie, mm -hmm. does it take place? Like when was it shot? Roughly. Like the year? No, where he busted his lip. Oh, when he was a teenager. So in real life, he busted his lip. In real life, no one knows why Harrison Ford, the actor, has a scar under his bottom lip. Oh, so he just wrote it into the character of Indiana Jones to try to explain the physical scar that Harrison Jones actually, or Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. Yeah, they're melding in my mind already. But the Harrison <laughs> Ford actually has. Yeah. Interesting. I think I think that's really creative Yeah. Um, filmmaking. And the other time that it happens is, like I was saying, when Luke gets attacked by that snow monster. Uh-huh. In between episode four and episode five, which is which would be in between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, Mark Hamill got in a motorcycle accident and had some scarring on his face. So when the when the snow monster, the Wampa, attacks Mark Hamill, he smacks him in the face. So you see that he incurs this these damages on his face to match the scars that he got from a motorcycle accident. That's fascinating. Like I heard something like that with Miles Teller. 
Okay. Miles Teller in real life got into an accident that left some scarring on his face. And this was just before he was really getting into acting. And he figured this was going to kill his acting career. And there have been certain films that actually use that physical quote unquote deformity, if you will, as a platform to deepen their storytelling. So I think in one movie I was watching called Whiplash, he actually got into a car accident and had to have scars on his face. And it worked perfectly. I think there was another movie where um, just him getting into acting, I think that one of the first films, if I remember the story right, one of the first few films he did, the director, he was talking to the director about why he was nervous about it, about the scarring on his face and all of that. And the director said, don't even worry about that. And they wrote it into the story. That's dope. I was like, that's really cool from a, I like it from a director standpoint to be able to tell the story and utilize what you have at your disposal. But I also like it from the, the actor standpoint, most people look at Hollywood and imagine if I'm going to make it in life, I have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. When life happens to you, things happen. And it could be that very thing that you think is a, a deformity or a handicap or a setback that becomes the actual thing that promotes you to stardom. Take, for instance, the guy who plays Punisher. Why can I not think? John Bentral, I think is his name. Baron, Baron Thals, something like that. Like that, yeah. If you looked at him, you he, he doesn't carry what you would think would be the action star look, right? No. He's got like a brawler's nose and all of that. But every time I see him in the roles he's cast, he's perfect. Uh-huh. Perfect. And I think part of that is the the thing that probably would cast him or cause him to lose some leading roles. Now he's not going to get the Brad Pitt role per se. Mm-hmm. He's like, I got a big nose. What is that going to do? And I heard somebody actually say this on the actor studio. They, they were saying, uh, I forget who they asked this question to, but the, the Hollywood actor, which was an A-list actor was telling them, don't despise how you look or who you are, because many times that particular thing that you think is a, a setback can really be the thing that helps you in this industry and really helps you gain a foothold. And it made me think about how God designs all of us and how there could be elements of that. Like take a George Lucas, George Lucas on the surface reminds me of a guy who would get bullied day mm-hmm. in and day out for being a quote unquote <laughs> geeker. Right. Yeah. But, an incredibly brilliant man who comes up with his own mythology, if you will, and basically makes not only a soccer out of it and makes a living out of it. He literally makes a fortune out of it. So because he he ended up selling his company for, was it like three? No, 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 no. It was a few billion dollars. Mm Mm-hmm. Few billion. He ain't gonna be in the soup line at all anytime right. soon. <laughs> right. Until right. they switch over from the dollar or something else. And I'm sure he's prepared, even if in, in that contingency. Right. But who would think that that guy would be able just from whatever doodling he was doing in his pad and becoming a filmmaker, like all of that stuff stacks up when you're pitching the story of his life. They're like, oh, you're gonna be a loser. Mm-hmm. Like you got the high water pants, you're wearing a vest. You know, you got spectacles on. None of this ever says you're getting late. I mean, none of this says that you're going to be able to make it far in life, right? And here he becomes one of the most influential figures and forces on the pop culture of our time. Yeah, it's crazy. 
It really is when you when you look at it from that perspective. But I digress. <laughs> so I mean, I think that covers the the first first layer of of storytelling, the main narrative. But if sure. he's if he's so prolific and and has this ability to to make films that has impacted people, I think we should really go and look at the midground and some of the thematic and ideologies that we see in the movie. Because if, if if he's got them in his movie and he's been so influential, then this it's got to bleed over some into our our the larger culture. Mm-hmm. I would agree. So, what are the some of the things that you saw as you took this apart? As you looked at it with your laser expert eyes of of criticalness, <laughs> uh, one of the first ones that jumped out is no surprising, being that it's a Disney film. But trust your feelings, right? Follow your heart, because the whole thing with the force is you got to reach out with your feelings. Okay, and I was like, that's interesting. That it's 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 kind of a, a more defined like follow your emotions um, than just follow your heart. Like it's actually like be in, in tune with them, reach out, just like um, discover the world with your emotions, which seems so problematic. And even one of the new ones, when the older Luke is training Ray, he's like, now reach out. And she literally puts her hand out, which makes the most sense. Right. Like if you are reaching out and he puts like a little branch in her hand and then smacks her, like you're an idiot for thinking that this is how you're supposed to do it. I was like, Wow. He's like, no, reach out with your feelings. I was like, yeah, this is a little messed up. That's exactly <laughs> what he says. Uh huh. Yeah, that's got all sorts of problems. Yeah. Not that we're suggesting that a person should be an emotional invalid, right? We're we're not saying that they shouldn't be mm-hmm. a a what would it be a a sociopath? You know, you should yes. have feelings. Uh, you you should have because God gave them to us, right? Mm-hmm. But I think. What's happening in our culture is like, I see two things happening in a in a, uh, a dual narrative. One is use your emotions improperly, right? Use them as your intellect. Think with them. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is your emotions make you weak. Get rid of them. Be robotic. Okay, so two extremes, right? Exactly, and it's 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 interesting and weird because it makes me wonder what is it about human emotion that the that Satan is afraid of, or to use Star Wars uh, Star Wars vernacular, what is it that the dark side is afraid of? Well, I think it's the fact that that God gave us emotions, right? Yeah. And the Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. Mm-hmm. So that would mean that there is a positive, there's a specific use for emotions, not just to feel pain and, and you know, depression and all of that, but he's given them to us as a tool to do something. Exactly. What do you think that something is, though? Well, I think it's the, to, I mean, drive us to different things. Like, one, it's part of the, the human experience, Mm-hmm. Or even, I mean, God has emotions, so it's just part of the person experience. But I think they're supposed to be a tool for us, not a defining factor, if that makes sense. Like gasoline for a car is really um, effective at doing its job if it's in the right place. 
Hmm. Once you once you try to start steering with gasoline, you're gonna have a bad time. Then nothing's gonna go well. <laughs> right, but to make the gasoline and the engine work, you have to have a transmission and you have to have suspension and steering to go the right direction at the right speed. And I think that if a a thinking believer that utilizes their emotions as a tool, because we always say that emotions should be the sail and not the rudder. Right. Someone that actually knows how to effectively navigate their emotions as a tool to better their life, I think is a force to be reckoned with. I like the way you put that. Thank you. But that's the reason that the, the enemy, Satan, the dark side, wants to come against that. Because if we don't know how to use our, our fuel tank, right? Mm-hmm. It 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 kind of stops us in our tracks. It does. I, I heard someone once say that the purpose of emotion was to move us to action. Yeah, that's and good. And I thought the same thing you just said. I was like, that's actually pretty insightful. You know, I, I wouldn't have, have thought of it that way. Uh, but every significant action that was taken, I think, was fueled in some way by a deep emotion. You know, anger yeah. should pr- propel us to correct a wrong. Happiness mm-hmm. should propel us to celebrate. Sadness should propel us to actually grieve. Right. You know, gratitude should propel us towards towards uh, an expression of thankfulness. You know, you go on and on and on. It's not all the emotions, obviously, but they should propel us towards some measure of action, even compassion should propel us to action to do something. So I think that if you turn off the emotions, you control the actions of a person better. Okay. And if the whole idea within the satanic control matrix is obviously control, then getting the emotions out of place would allow you to steer someone better because they're steering improperly or turning them off would allow you to steer them with something else and propel them towards a different action that their emotions probably would, would be antithetical towards. Interesting. So I, I just had this thought. If if emotion is designed to compel us to action, what happens when we are incited to experience a bunch of emotions that we don't take action on? That is a wild question. I would say it produces... disintegration within the soul of a person. I would say okay. it begins to fracture them. I would agree. Because you're you're not moving the way that you should, and you're fighting even, to use a Newtonian idea, you're fighting the, the um, internal inertia that should be coming from you moving. And so every force has got an equal and opposite force. If you're not moving the right force, you should and fighting it. That's going to have a detrimental force or impact on you. So I think there are fractures that are being made. And with those fractures, if done deep enough, can create breach points that can be exploited by spiritual entities on the outskirts. Man, it's such a fascinating concept to look at it like that. That escalated quickly. <laughs> it really did. <laughs> From nowhere, right? Because like, yeah, because you were saying like if, if anger is supposed to propel us to right or wrong, mm-hmm. you know, or 
or, or however you want to open that. If we are focusing and dwelling on the emotion of anger and and not moving to resolve anything, then yeah, it's got to disintegrate you from the inside out. And then if that nuts. happens, there's got to be a way that you've got to create a weakness. You know, if you, if you think about the internal structure of our humanity, we're, we're a three-part being, obviously, body, soul, and spirit. But when you mm-hmm. start getting to that internal world, it's it's huge, hugely, not just dynamic, but complex in ways we're still learning about. Because, of course, Western medicine doesn't teach anything about that. And Western science doesn't believe in anything that it can't feel, touch, taste, sense, or smell. If it If it can't be quantified within the realm of physics, it doesn't exist. So much for the idea of information. But that's a whole nother, whole nother, whole nother episode. Right. Um, in our internal world, there are places that that God resides, that apparently angels have have, have space or access to, that, demon, that demons have access to, that fallen angels have access to, right? And mm-hmm. based on how God structures, there is a a natural defense mechanism that's built up, but our choices, especially when those, those choices are out of alignment of the God of creation, it, it weakens our defense system. And so it creates opportunities in those places of weakness that a breach can be made from the outer wall of protection into our inner realm. And that's how you can get issues of demonization. That's how you can get issues of, 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 um, I don't want to say control, I don't want to say possession, but let's say strong influence or maybe control, if you will. Um, It's also where you can get soul fractures that happen. And that becomes a whole nother issue. Yeah. It's where you can have issues of um, how, what do they, what do they call that? What is, what does Dan DeVall call that? Um, uh, What is that word? Disassociative properties. Right where you have trauma and when you disassociate, that also can bring further levels of um, susceptibility and vulnerability in those areas to where they can be exploited. It's almost like a, a city or a citadel, if you will. And you imagine those protectionary measures around that. Once those get breached, we become extremely vulnerable to outside forces. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of what can do that is not having our emotions in the proper place as you were saying a moment ago, because if we're not resolved to bring action or if we're not resolved to bring resolution to a problem, then that problem persists and it can eat away at us until we resolve it. Right. Not to mention being in our emotions can allow us to be manipulated to make a problem worse. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of issues that could come about from it. Yeah, that's crazy. My mind's just exploding with different analogies and different ways to unpack that. That's pretty cool. I'm trying to figure out how we got on this whole thing about emotions. Because <laughs> you got to reach out with your feelings. There it is. That's how we got out there. <laughs> All right, so now, now that we've covered one issue, <laughs> what's something else that you notice? Another one that really, really surprised me. I didn't see this one coming. Political shifts. And it actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I should have grabbed a clip. But there's a clip where Senator Padme is going, oh, so this is how democracy dies in thunderous applause. That's a heck of a line. Yeah. 
It is. And it's all done by this. It's, it's really a uh, Hegelian dialectic. Okay. Now, for because you have followers, but ain't quite sure about what that means. I haven't heard it in a while. Explain that real quick. It's a problem reaction solution. So you create the problem that moves people to a particular response. And then you offer them the solution, which is what you wanted in the first place that they never would have gone to without the problem that you created. Right. Is that a pretty good answer? Perfect. And it's extremely sinister methodology. It is. But it's something that we, we encounter in our daily lives frequently. It is. And it's one of the things that like conspiracy theorists air quotes will, you know, point out, look, this is what's happening. And we always get, you know, kind of, brushed to the side or whatever that that there's no way this this type of thing happens and it's interesting that this is exactly what's happening in star wars at least in the first three episodes because you have senator palpatine who creates this uh issue with naboo and the trade federation and it causes such an issue that they vote the um original chancellor out and who better to take that spot than the one that gets the sympathy vote from Naboo, which is Senator Palpatine. So he becomes Supreme Chancellor Palpatine. That's how he got to the top. Yeah. And then from that position, all this unrest and stuff never actually resolves because he's funding it from behind the scenes. So because the Republic doesn't have the ability to react swiftly enough. Mm-hmm. Then he elevates himself to the emperor of the galactic empire. Oh, that seems rational. Right. And it's all this political maneuvering that he's doing. And and he's the villain. And I'm like, it's such a weird thing to put in a movie, you know, because we think one, I mean, one part of it is what revelation of the method, which is where they have to tell us what they're doing before they do it. Mm hmm. So that's one aspect. But the other aspect is is conditioning us to believe a certain thing. So it just really surprised me that this, this very clear uh, political maneuvering is put, put in place as the villain in this movie. It, you would, I would think that it would have alerted people to this type of political maneuvering in reality. It didn't seem to have done that. That's interesting. Anyway, sorry, I got lost in my head <laughs> kind of looking at all of that stuff. It does change. You don't get that strong political um, outline or play once Disney takes over and makes the other movies. They were very clear on not um, putting that type of political rhetoric in their movies, which I, see, I mean. Now that I find interesting. Okay. Because I... I <laughs> When you, I guess when you grow up in a world that is processed, you don't always appreciate the process. What do you mean? Well, let me take it out of films for a minute. I I was talking to someone. I'm going to expose my own vulnerability. I was talking to one of our uh, longtime listeners, Megan, uh, out there in in North Carolina. And I think one time Megan was making some um, cauliflower. Right. And she chopping it up and, and doing all of this. And I happen to see it. And I'm like, wait a minute. Cauliflower comes like that, like a, a big head of cauliflower. And she's like, <laughs> what are you saying to me right now? And I was like, I thought it came in just those little small bundles and a little tray with dip. He's like, you have to be kidding me. I'm like, no, 
No, I grew up in the city. That's how cauliflower is <laughs> served. Whenever you see it, it's in the little tray with the dip in the middle. It comes with its friends, carrots, broccoli, sometimes cheeses. Depends on how rich you are. And that's how you pull it out of the ground. It's in this plastic container with dressing. Who said pull it out of the ground? It shows up on the shelf. This is where they grow it. <laughs> <laughs> right? Now, I'm being facetious, but I, I never really thought about it until she was actually cooking with a full head of, of cauliflower, right? Okay. Translate over to movies. I think we see the finished product of the movie, and we just think that the movie studio made a movie. We don't okay. think that they actually stopped and looked at all of these different elements of a movie, like things we're not familiar with. Ideas okay. like, no, we're not going to have political rhetoric in our film anymore. Huh. I mean, so much to the degree that you could see two films back to back and that back to back may be broken up by a year or so. Right. Mm-hmm. But let's say film A has strong political rhetoric sprinkled, uh, sprinkled uh, throughout. And then film B shot the same as film A written very similarly doesn't have the political rhetoric. I bet you we wouldn't notice. That's a good point. And because we wouldn't notice, we wouldn't even think that a movie studio sat down to take out that specific element, which then raises the question for somebody like you and me, what other elements are they aware of that we are not question one. And then question two what things are they taking out and putting in or putting in and taking out that we're yeah. not aware of? To me, it's like processed food. Now, if they change an element or they change an ingredient, you might notice, but you might not. Oh, that's a good point. Now, something's a little bit different about this milk. I'll drink it. It's fine. <laughs> the, the defect in this one is bleach. Right. Wait, oh, wait, wait. <laughs> Did you take bleach out or add it in? We'll never tell. <laughs> but do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of it quite like that before. Me neither. So I, I wonder, I, I'm hoping people listening to this will at least begin to develop a level of sensitivity of realizing when it comes to films, this is a major business. And movie studios are good at their business. Mm-hmm. Right? They, yeah. they, they don't. Um, they they don't take their business lightly. True. I think I want to go back and uh, as I watch this, pay more attention to the political maneuverings because I was always interested in how Palpatine got to be emperor. Okay. And I wonder if there's, I wonder if there's any tie between this idea of a republic and an empire. I mean, politically, there has to be some association. So I kind of want to go back and and take a look at that since you've talked about political shifts. And see if there's anything embedded. And I also think George Lucas is too smart of a guy not to have something in there about politics. Oh, for sure. For sure. But beyond the, the political things that are in there, they have a bunch of distorted family models, even before we get to Disney. Do they really? Yeah. Okay, shoot. So, I mean, Anakin just has his mom, but as a slave, he gets taken away, rescued, but he gets torn away from his mom when he's like eight or nine years old. She dies later, doesn't she? She does. Okay. Oh, I mean, without him seeing her again. 
I think he sees her ride as she dies. Okay. So that's traumatizing. You have Luke and Leia don't even know that they're related or who their father is and have very little memory of their mother. Hold on. Don't they get it on? Luke and Leia? Yeah. No. Well, wasn't There wasn't a kiss or something between there the two There was a kiss scene. Yeah, that counts. <laughs> and and when I rewatched it, it's so funny because uh, C-3PO would have known, right? Okay. Who they were. And I was watching it, and right as she goes in to kiss him, this little, the guy that can't move very well scoots all the way up and looks, and then like he almost like he looks at the screen, like this shouldn't be happening, but he doesn't have like the balls to say anything about it. I was really? cracking up. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, they don't. Um, when they find out who their father is, he's the you know the the evil lord of the universe, which is a little bit of a problem. Right. Leia gets together with Han Solo. They don't stay together, and their child ends up becoming a dark lord. And he ends up. Uh, um, Kylo Ren kills Han Solo. So I mean, it's just throughout this, I can't think. Looking back over all of it, I can't see one actually well-structed, well-constructed nuclear family model in the entire Star Wars saga. Okay, that's fascinating, and it really makes me want to ask, what's the history? I don't know if you'll know this, but what's the history of George Lucas's family? That I don't know. Like, I wonder how he grew up. That's interesting. I'm not sure. Yeah, me neither. Huh. Okay. If there are any I'm Star sorry. Wars aficionados listening to this and you know the answer, hit us up on, on Instagram. Let us know. Yep. We want to know real bad. Yes. Or George Lucas. I mean, tell us about yourself. <laughs> uh, join the Patreon. There you go. Because we know you got the monies for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You really help out. I, I'll even let you put THX certified on there. <laughs> That's funny. I think one of the the last ideological things, though, is that the Star Wars saga glorifies rebellion. Okay, now, are are we saying that just because there are the rebels on here that are resisting the Empire? Or is it deeper than that? Does it really glorify rebellion? I think it goes a lot deeper than that. Okay. Because it's not just rebelling against tyranny. That there might actually be a – I don't want to go down that trail. It's not just that. Okay. But you you, – especially if you fast forward to the, the most recent movies and, and Rogue One and uh, 7, 8, and 9, they deal with the rebels doing things like morally reprehensible. Like we had to do these things in order to um, like achieve the goal of the rebellion. And and now you start dealing with some really dark ideas hmm. when you're vi- violating morals and, and things of that nature. Yeah, and, you and lose just, the moral high ground for your argument on why you're even rebelling in the first place. Right, right. And the whole time I kept watching, I kept thinking of the uh, – towards the end of the Communist Manifesto, they write that in short, communists have to support any rebellion or communists do support any rebellion. And I was okay. like, I remember us talking about that. Yeah. I was like, that's all you need to know to know communism isn't going to work. Right. Because it doesn't matter it, what it, your cause is. As long as you're rebelling, they're happy and they'll support you. Right. 
even Which if is you're a problem. rebelling against a legitimate agency. Right. Or rebelling against communism. Then they have to support you rebelling against themselves. So that makes it that, self-refuting. I'm, Right. That one sentence from the manifesto is all you need to know to go, yeah, this is not going to work. That's wild. But the rebels in Star Wars are the good guys. Okay. The whole time. So I was like, yeah, that, that can't be good. I had wondered about that. Because I think I'd mm-hmm. heard somewhere along the lines that Star Wars was an inversion between like what was considered the, the good guys or really the bad guys. And that mm-hmm. the which meaning the Jedi and that the Sith and the Empire and all were actually good and that the rebels had no just cause for why they were rebelling and creating this amount of war and chaos throughout the galaxy. I mean, there's definitely an argument to be had for that, but that takes us into the spiritual messaging. Well, we're already here, man. Don't stop. We are. So real interesting. I think Emperor Palpatine serves as the God archetype. And again, for those who haven't seen this, who is Emperor Palpatine again? Emperor Palpatine is the villain from the, from episode one to episode nine. He is the villain, the guy pulling all of the strings. Like he is the, the evil person. Now his name is Emperor Palpatine, but is he also the Sith Lord? He is. He's also known as Darth Sidious. Okay, I'm glad you you said that, because in my mind yeah. they're different people. No, they're the same person. Okay, cool. So it's it's interesting. Um, I read an article that his first name is actually Sheev. I thought which that is was a, a typo in our notes. Nope, his name's Sheev Palpatine, and apparently there's this connection between. Uh, let me back up just a little bit. George Lucas in his creativity takes a lot of real life things and puts them into star Wars. So even the planet Tatooine, there's a, a place called Tatooine on earth. I think it's spelled a little bit different, but it's pronounced the same. Oh, it's not Tatooine. No, I think you and I watched a very different version of star Wars. (laughs) I think maybe you watch star Wars and I watch space balls. Maybe that could be why you have a different opinion about it. Oh, that's funny. But yeah, so he has a way of merging all of this stuff. And I didn't realize until researching for this episode is Sanskrit actually plays a pretty big role in the the language and some of the origins of the characters in Star Wars. So, How so? just like, well, just like they changed a little bit um, the spelling of Tatooine or whatever, there's this um, Star Wars-ization of Sanskrit of Sanskrit language into some of the names and stuff that they have. So it's like star Wars takes a particular dialect of Sanskrit and uses it. So I can't remember all the specifics, but like uh, the character Padme who was queen Amidala in the episode one, she ends up being Anakin's lover and all of that. Well, her name is Padme Amidala. And I guess these words are variations of Sanskrit. Really? And Shiv, the name of Palpatine, is also a variation of Sanskrit. And apparently this Sanskrit variation stems from this the, the planet of Naboo, that he's kind of merged the culture of this fictitious place and the, the Sanskrit language. Even more interesting is the song that John Williams orchestrates for episode one. It's called Duel of the Fates. 
It's one of those songs that you don't like. <laughs> okay, first off, Christopher, how do you know I don't like it? Because I talked to you about it before. Cheater. So it's just it's just not your particular... I mean, you don't have an issue with John Williams. You just don't like this particular piece. Right. It's interesting. It is one of the most iconic. Maybe the second. You know, you get the main Star Wars theme, and then Duel of the Fates is right up behind it. It's fr- From a, a, a musical perspective, it's just... It's genius, and it does everything that the musical score is supposed to do in episode one. It's called Duel of the Fates. It's interesting because the words that they got that the choir is singing for it is taken from an old Sanskrit poem called Duel of the Trees. Okay. Which is interesting if you look back at our Cosmic Governments episode. I was wondering if that's where you were going. Yeah, that trees stand in as multi-dimensional governments, and you have the duel of these two governments, the light side and the dark side, but in Star Wars, it's inverted. That's wild. Yeah. How did you even find that out? It was it was just a mix of a couple different things that I was looking at and researching came together, and I was like, oh, that's crazy. That's nuts. I wouldn't have seen that. That is mind-blowing that the messaging actually embeds itself in the musical score what exactly that's that's nuts but so if the if this is an inversion uh emperor palpatine plays the god archetype luke skywalker would be the lucifer archetype even though he's the hero for a majority of the movies i think the human jesus archetype is played by anakin and the divine jesus is played by darth vader Okay. So if to, to try to map this out, and you'll have to tell me if, if this walks, especially someone from the outside. So you're kind of going to be my barometer here. So we have Anakin, and he starts with a, a virgin birth. They even call it a virgins. I think that's a, a term that they coined. Okay. Uh, and it was, it was prophesied that there would be a virgins in the force, and all of the Jedi were, were anxiously awaiting the um, – the coming of this this person, you know, the chosen one. And Anakin, as the chosen one, because he's the virgin, the boy born of a mother who didn't know a man, he even tries to establish his his own empire and uses some words that are actually akin to some of the things that, that Jesus said. I have brought peace, freedom, justice, and security to my new empire. Your new empire? Don't make me kill you. Anakin, my allegiance is to the Republic, to democracy! If you're not with me, then you're my enemy. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. I will do what I must. You will try. Do you see such it? A twi- well, I got stuck on only a Sith deals with absolutes. Yes, that's the other thing I wanted to bring up. Yeah, that was the first thing that, well, that was the last thing that jumped out to me. So it was the most depressing thing on my mind. But at the very beginning, as he said, how, what is his, his uh, empire brings, I see that same sort of um, Christ-like language, if you will. Uh-huh. That's being used. And even there. if, yeah, even if you're not with me, then you're against me. Yep. Yep, that's in the Bible. But. Only the Sith deal in absolutes? Yes. 
wouldn't that be an absolute? <laughs> it's self-refuting for sure. Right. Even before that, when he said his loyalty was to to the uh, the Republic, I was like, that sounds like an absolute as well. <laughs> I was like, what are you yeah. talking about here? So I love the way that your brain works like that because I didn't pick up those two things. Really? It's very it's very apparent once you say it. Yeah, but that's not what I took away from it. What'd you take away? Because I'm looking for that that Gnostic inversion. I saw that. Jesus Christ does deal in absolutes, right? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's only one way to the father and that's through Jesus Christ. Right. Like there's specific absolutes. What, a what a male is, what a female is and all types of other very politically incorrect statements. And then here, star Wars is saying that only the dark side deals in absolutes. And I was like, that paints a very specific message and colors the Bible and Christians in, in a light of being the evil people. Bro, I love that you pick up on stuff like that because I miss it. And then I walk away and I'm like, do I really love Jesus? Because <laughs> I didn't pick up nothing about Jesus at all when I was listening to it. Is my Jesus antenna broke? <laughs> so I'm so happy that he's paired us together for this, man. Because you catch that stuff like like that, like, like gangbusters. It, it's cool how we can look at it and, and pick up on completely different aspects to the same messaging right now it takes two of us fairly intelligent human beings to do that what force is putting those two together in the same material is that a human force or a non-human force i'd say non-human for sure i would not just because it exceeds our ability you know as human beings to you know our individual abilities to maybe pick up on that messaging but I think it's interlaced in such a way that it serves a spiritual purpose. Right. And I don't think that that's a, a human purpose. I don't even think it's a human agent that's really embedding that that deep. Okay. I could be mistaken. No, I think you're dead on. I think you're dead on. The things that I do know, though, is that as Anakin progresses, shortly after this argument he has with Obi-Wan, he fights Obi-Wan Kenobi and then seemingly dies, right? Okay. He gets chopped up a little bit, catches on fire. And uh, even Obi-Wan Kenobi in the later movies or episode um, four talks about how Anakin did die and he was killed by the Dark Lord Darth Vader. So from from a from an actual Star Wars perspective, they tell this as though Anakin died, but it's also Anakin that is Darth Vader. So there's a death and resurrection that happens. As Anakin, he wasn't even able to become a master Jedi, but he dies as Anakin and gets resurrected as the Dark Lord, the Lord, Darth Vader. Interesting. I'm like, all right, there's some more connections here. And the fact that he ends up a part of this institution that has the power to destroy planets, which is something God says that he has. Destroy the planet once with water. It'll happen again with fire. Mm -hmm. And this is, not, this is not a superpower that the enemy has. It's only a power that God has. And it's attributed in Star Wars to the bad guys. That's interesting. Which is interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. So then if we move to Luke being the, the Lucifer archetype. He's the son of the chosen one. 
And uh, there's some theological schools that um, Satan actually thinks that he's like the rightful heir to the throne. Yeah, I've heard yeah. that. Yeah, so you can see kind of this this distortion here. But he joins the rebellion against the empire or God's heavenly order. But in his in his attempt to to take down this order, he actually saves Jesus or Vader from the tyranny of the emperor. So he saves Jesus from the tyranny of Father God, which is a really bizarre Gnostic idea that that Jesus can kind of be on either side. And we see this a lot, which is why we have the whole distinction, the divine Jesus and human Jesus, if we're dealing with an archetype. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at, at Wreck-It Ralph, like Ralph and Felix in the end end up having a, a dual marriage ceremony, right? I'm trying to remember. Okay, yeah, I can't remember Wreck-It Ralph with that detail. So I take okay. the word for it. Yeah, so so that happens. And then even Islam teaches that in the end times of Islam, that Jesus will be converted to Islam, and then that will convert the other Christians. So it's it's interesting that Jesus being the son of God, depending on which false theology looks at it, they kind of want a piece of him, right? So you get the divine Jesus when he is acting as king of kings and lord of lords, and then you get the human Jesus, which is the one that gets married next to Wreck-It Ralph, which is the one that can convert to um, Islam, which is the version that we see in as Darth Vader turns back to the light side, which is really the dark side, and kills the Father God, that Lucifer is able to save Jesus from the tyranny of his father, which is what we see happen in, in Star Wars. Man, that is confusing. Is it? Did I not explain it very no, well? No, no, no. It's not that. It's not that you didn't explain it. It's that when you're dealing in a world that's inverted and up is down and down is up, left is right, right is left, it's mm-hmm. almost like you're Will Smith in Independence Day trying to fly the little machine, but all your controls are backwards. <laughs> right? You just got to flip the flip the thing the other way around. Hey, right. Let's do it again without the oops. <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh-huh. I'm flying around. I just hit something. I was like, oops. Yeah, that, that was confusing. No, it wasn't confusing, though, because of the way you explained it. It's confusing because everything's inverted. And so you really have to flip your thinking to match everything. Uh, because a lot of this is taking place in the subconscious. And our mind is very adept at that place for doing that type of autonomous inverting and extracting the messaging from it. Our conscious mind is not as adept at that. So the, the okay. real thing about this type of, of subliminal messaging is that it's really directed at the subconscious. That's one of the other reasons it's hard to pick up on consciously. It's not written in the language of the conscious mind. It's written in the okay. subconscious mind language. That, that makes sense. So even as we're explaining it, on the conscious side, it takes a little bit of effort to track it and, and, and do the calculative and re-inverting so that it's right side up and then tracing okay. everything out so that it all makes sense. Does, does that, does that click? Yeah, it does. I think it also shows the fact that it's not accidental. Exactly. You can't have this type of um, specific 
technical inversion just be, oh, oops, we we didn't do it right? No, that would be like having the Gettysburg Address in, embedded in backwards masking. Right. Like, what do you have to sing so that when you <laughs> when you run it backwards, it's the Gettysburg Address? Yeah. Not accidental in the least. No. But I take that back, Christopher. It evolved that way. Oh, right. It evolved. That's all. We just need a little, <laughs> enough time and randomness, and you can get these things. Man, I love when you plug that in because it. we have to reinforce the idea that evolution is nonsensical. And when you apply it to things like this, I think it helps. Even me. Bonkers. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's psychotic. Right. You, you'd have to – I don't want to vilify people who – advocate for for this position but i really think that you have to ignore not just common sense you have to ignore the laws of logic and reality in order to endorse such a a ludicrous position i would agree and it always amazes me how how many intelligent people gravitate to such a provably ludicrous position Mm -hmm. like that's always baffled me it has and it's almost a little intimidating because they should clearly know better, so maybe I'm dumb. But right. you go back to what we know, and you're like, no, it 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 doesn't walk. At all. Like, it's got holes all through it. I tell you what does walk, though. This idea of the emperor being God, fulfilling the God archetype. Okay, hit me. So he he takes advantage of his people um, through fear, and he's actually the, the rightful ruler. I mean, even though he manipulated things, he's the rightful ruler of the Republic and, and was actually the rightful emperor of this new galactic. I mean, everyone was applauding, right? right. You know, that's why Padme even it makes this whole statement. So it's interesting that he's, he's the rightful leader, but they, they distort his character to such a point that he doesn't deserve that position because of his character, which I think is something that people do to God all, all the time. They attack his character. I think that's really the charge that's happening in the spiritual world. If you can prove that God is unjust, if you can prove that he's a liar, that he's not fit to reign, he's not fit to rule. Right. And therefore he has to abdicate the throne. Mm -hmm. I think that's really Satan's whole pitch. No, it is because there's, there's no contention to actually who is ruling. It's definitely the father The the Bible says that, Everything that happens happens in order to fulfill the will of the Father, right? Mm-hmm. You know what Palpatine says? I'm guessing something along those lines. Everything that has transpired has done so according to my design. Well, there you have it. Wow. Everything that is that has transpired has done so according to my design. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's it's crazy when you look at it like this. And you still were going to give it two buttery buckets. It, I'm telling you, it is an emotional battle. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we are never, and I mean never, going to take a look at Top Gun. <laughs> I can't wait for that day. Shut up. But yeah, so so if if the emperor is the the god archetype, then the empire would function as the kingdom of heaven, right? Okay. So you have you have order, you have structure. The, all of the stormtroopers, the Republic soldiers, are white. So you have the idea that they're they're these angels. 
And then it's backwards because in, I think it's episode four, they talk about how the emperor destroyed the, um, I think the Republic Senate or something like that. And they're like, well, how will we maintain control? And he says, fear will keep the local systems in line. Which is interesting because every time an angel confronts someone in the Bible, they say, fear not. So it's, it's, it's so backwards and inverted. Hmm. And even it's interesting too that the emperor plays or fulfills this God archetype because from episode one to nine, he's the villain. Like whether or not you know it, like he is the one that's in control. You know, everything happens according to his design. So you have the, the political jockeying that's happened that happens in episodes one, two, and three. And then you have this uh, trying to get to Darth Vader and confront him and even overthrow the emperor in four, five, and six. And then what you don't realize is seven, eight, and nine is really getting back to the fact that it's still the God archetype, Emperor Palpatine pulling the strings in control. Sovereign would be a, a, a type of way to explain that. It's just, it's crazy. That is interesting. I can see what you mean with the charge being against God's character, especially if Palpatine is serving as an archetype for God. Mm-hmm. Because the whole time he's presented as evil, Darth City of Sith Lord, conniving for his own ways, working from the shadows to to bring about, even at a certain time when when later in the series he's killed, he still tries to come back from the 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 other dimension, the beyond, the spiritual right. world. Which is, if you think, I mean, Nietzsche said that God is dead, right? Okay. But he's still here. So, I don't know. It's it's crazy. And it's interesting to me that the um, the leaders or the uh, practitioners of the force on the dark side, the Sith, mm-hmm. are called Sith Lords. Like, you can, you, can, you can switch out Darth and Lord. So, you're Lord Vader or Darth Vader, Darth Sidious, Lord Sidious. You don't get that on the quote-unquote light side the jedis are called masters but they're never called lords okay so what would the distinction uh or or the the uh takeaway be the fact you? that you're a so you're the fact that you're associating the word lord with evil okay with the quote-unquote dark side yeah yeah okay because clearly it can't be part of the good people Part of the rebellion. It's just it's just layer upon layer of this of this messaging that's specifically put in here. Even the empire or the the parts of the empire that come back together and function as the villains in the the seven, eight, and nine uh-huh. episodes, they rename the empire the first order. As in there's a second order? Well, or I was just thinking order. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting stuff, man. It just, the, the evidence just keeps stacking against. Yeah. Somebody's going to have to make a, an explanation that, that justifies these particular changes and nuances that we see scattered out. Cause this isn't just circumstantial. This is starting to, to, to be evidence that's pointing towards intentionality. Uh huh. And I'm like, Hey, what are you signaling? Cause again, this is happening in the background. Right. This right. is hidden by all the fanciful practical effects and special effects and all this other stuff, the music. But this is the real core of the film. Yeah. Like yeah. if you started it, I, taking these away, I think the rest of the stuff would fall apart. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah, it definitely makes the back the backbone, and it, but it it's difficult to see, even for me. And maybe it's just because I'm so emotionally attached. But th- this one took a lot of effort to kind of draw these these parallels out and stuff. And I got to give credit to uh, LED Light Exposing Darkness because they do uh, a thing on on Star Wars, and that really helps kind of kickstart my mind into seeing things for how, awesome. how they really are. They do a lot of good work, by the way. They do. They, they, they do. They really do. Uh, a phenomenal job at trying to peel back the curtain and see what is going on. The, the messaging, not just with films, but with a lot of different things, they really try to get to the behind or what's underneath. What's the foundation of this and what's the cultural impact based on that foundation. Right. So I really, really like that. They try to, as their name suggests, expose darkness with the light of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and they, they do, do a great a job. job. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But the last thing I think that this, it, for this inversion messaging, and possibly the worst thing that I think Star Wars has done, is distorting what and who the Holy Spirit is. Are you suggesting that Star Wars provides a mischaracterization of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Because somebody said we were going to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. I, I would even go so far to say... And this this hurts me just because I, I've loved Star Wars for so long. Star Wars might be single-handedly responsible for shifting the mind of, especially Christians that watch it, that the Holy Spirit is a person to the Holy Spirit is just a force. Interesting. Yeah. And it, and it struck me a different way when I was watching episode one. Because at the end of episode one, there's a conversation that Yoda and Mace Windu have because they know that they killed a Sith or they thought they killed a Sith. And they have this discussion where Yoda's like, always two there are, a master and an apprentice, no more and no less. Okay. And I got to, I got to thinking about that and I was like, this is interesting because if they're, by talking about the dark side, if it's inverted and they're really talking about the God of the Bible – which would be the Trinity. Mm-hmm. So you have God, the father who would be the master, you, you know, f- from their perspective. And then Jesus, the son, which would be the apprentice. And they're both practitioners of the force. Which they're all the, force sensitive, which would be from the star Wars perspective, they would be practitioners of the dark force. Right. But they don't count it as an entity. It's just the force. If you were able to attribute personhood to the force, then it would be always three there are. No more, no less. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Interesting. Especially if you consider that from Scripture's perspective, the Holy Spirit doesn't testify of himself. He's always the silent witness Mm -hmm. pointing to Christ. It would be easy to try to depersonalize him. Oh, yeah, it would be. I mean, does he even carry the attributes of personhood? Well, he can be grieved. Well, I I know he does, right? Oh, okay, okay. I see what you're saying. But if he's the silent witness that only testifies to someone else, I mean, that's only a half step away from a force. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And what's even crazier is the idea then from a 
Star Warsian perspective, it's only taken me the whole episode to come up with that word. <laughs> but from a Star Wars perspective, the force can be manipulated. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's a suggestion with an inverted idea that the Holy Spirit can be manipulated as well. Oh, I think so. I think that's what causes a lot of frustration. And I hadn't thought of it until you just said it like that. But there's a lot of frustration from Christians that pray and ask for things and beseech the Holy Spirit on things. And when the answer comes back, no, they think that there's no answer at all. Or, you know, you need to do this thing for me. I mean, there's a reason that there's teachings to to educate Christians that God is not a vending machine. Mm-hmm. You don't just hit a couple buttons and get out what you want. Like he's a, a <laughs> he's a person to have a relationship with. Right. But I, I, I think you're right that so much of this, the, the subtlety of this deception is, is absorbed by the church. And we think, oh, well, we can manipulate this Holy Spirit to do the things that we think would be godly to do. Mm-hmm. And we get irritated when he acts like a person. <laughs> right. It's it's crazy. I think we actually expect. I'm thinking about the way Star Star Wars portrays the Force. It's a supernatural force that allows you to do supernatural things under your control. Mm-hmm. You know, you can move immovable objects. You can change the minds of people. Think about manip- manipulative prayers that are conducted. Oh yeah, that are that are almost akin to putting a spell on a person. And trying to get the Holy Spirit's power to back that up. And this only really has weight when it's evaluated from the perspective. Again, this is one of the most well-known popular franchises in movie history. Like this is a cultural phenomenon. Not even Marvel has achieved the level of success that Star Wars has. Right. And if if it is built, it's kind of interesting how philosophically hungry our society tends to be like star Wars comes on the scene. It's built on a lot of philosophy and people eat it up. Matrix comes on the scene. People eat it up. The chosen comes on the scene. (laughs) People still eating it up. Don't don't get me wrong, but it's interesting how we're so as a culture, so hungry for, for philosophy. And if this was, if this is as reported, um, one of the most impactful films of all times, then we have to rephrase that. This is one of the most philosophically impacting products to ever hit the public mind in the latter half of the 20th century. Yeah. That type of platform is powerful. That type of platform can appeal to a lot of people in, in various demographics which I think we might touch on here in a minute. But okay. if it's as widespread as the 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 data would suggest, then it's not only wise, it's not only hitting atheists, it's not only hitting humanists, it's not only hitting pantheists or polytheists, it's also hitting church monotheists, it's hitting Christians, right? It's hitting followers of Christ. Which means it's beginning to change how they think as well, especially if they are saturated with the culture and not practicing um, detoxing protocols in order to get the filth out of their system. Right. 
So it's very plausible then that it could be a preconceived weapon to change the very notion of how Christians see one of their most advantageous, I don't even want to just say a weapon, one of the most advantageous realities to being in a relationship with the Godhead. I like that. It took a minute. No, it's good though. It's good. Right? Which the Bible sums up as the comforter. What yeah. good is the comforter if you can manipulate him? And what good is comfort if it's not coming from a person, but it's coming from a thing? Normally, the thing can be abused much easier than the person can. Right. Which means it could be misused. And that would no huh. longer provide comfort. That's There's insightful. a lot embedded in, twi- in taking away the personhood. There is, for sure. And making it a manipulatable force under our purview, which would elevate us because it changes the relationship status. That's interesting. Yeah. It's more, almost a little bit more humanistic if it's underneath us or bows to our will. Right. But that would elevate us to a position of Godhood. Right. So not only can we do these fanciful things, this is the, this is the magic. This is the spiritual magic, the power that fuels these desires that we have. And all you have to do is tap into it. It's incredibly, it's not incredibly, it's, it's crazy how pantheistic this is. And I I don't know if you're going to get into it. I've been trying to do a very good job of not jumping the gut (laughs) on you. Um, so if this does forgive me, but there was an interview that I saw with George Lucas where he talked about why he created star Wars. Well, you know what? I have a clip of it right here. Why don't I just play it? Oh yeah. Let me hear it. The whole thing in star Wars was to take, um, again, um, ideas, psychological ideas from social issues, political issues, uh, spiritual issues, and condense them down into a, um, a, an easy-to-tell story of those stories. The Force basically came from, uh, you know, distilling all of the uh, religious beliefs, spiritual beliefs, go all around the world, all through time, finding the similarities, and then creating a an easy-to-deal-with hmm. uh, metaphor for what religion is. And the point was, is that the, I mean, in the very beginning, when you have people worshiping rocks and deer, they called it life force. They called it the force. That's what it was. And so where did the name come from? It came from basically life force of what the more primitive religions believed in. And then you go through all the other religions and they have the same thing. You know, it's all the same, you know, whether you believe in God, don't believe in God, believe in religion, don't believe in religion. The issue is that you either don't believe there's anything else out there, which is a little, I think would be hard to live with at the same time. I mean, I believe something's out there. I just don't know what it is. I have no idea or what I dare to guess, but I do know the religions aren't based on it. They're, human psychological needs that have been put together mostly 
to create a society. Star Wars and Indiana Jones were basically put together, especially Star Wars, more than Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones was just done for fun, to entertain people. Uh, And there were some messages in there about, you know, uh, archaeology and also about what we believe in in terms of myths and that sort of thing. But the real one is Star Wars, and that was done in the same vein that um, uh, what I was saying about the, 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 the patron creates the propaganda. And what I wanted to do was go back to some of the older propaganda, which was consistent through all of the societies, which is mythology, but to say, what did they all believe? Because they were all, this propaganda was created independently. Yeah. He's a little hard to listen to. Oh, that wasn't for me. I was, he could have kept going because I'm, I'm picking up nuggets, <laughs> right? I'm stacking okay. ammo over here. Okay. Um, and that wasn't even the clip that I was thinking of. I think it was, I think it may be the same interview. Okay. Okay. But the, whoever was that interviewed George Lucas, I'm going to see if I can find a clip of this. No promises. Um, but I'm gonna see if I can. The interviewer okay. asked him what his motivation was in regards to, to religion. And basically George Lucas said he believes all roads lead to God. And so he was like, okay. so you're pantheistic. He was like, yeah. And I think oh, I didn't know he came from, out and said it just like that. Pretty, from what I remember, I could be wrong, um, but from what I recall, it, it was pretty blatant. And there was a story behind it. I think it had to do with his mom and some of the stuff he was exposed to as a kid. But that was his his goal was to create a new modern mythology that was pantheistic in nature. So this idea that the force, especially what he just said and what we just listened to, the idea that this life force is in us and is us and something we can manipulate if we just tap into it is not only pantheistic, it's also very new age-ish. Yes, yes, that's what I was thinking. It sounds like theosophy to me right? when he was explaining it. All you have mm-hmm. to do is type and in, tap into this Jesus consciousness, tap into this force, this Christ consciousness. They won't call it Jesus consciousness. But this Christ consciousness, elevate yourself, learn to to reach out and connect with it, right? Mm-hmm. And you can do extraordinary things. Yeah, it's nuts. Become one with this force that's inside of you because we all carry the spark of divinity. Yes, yes. Right? That's all they like right to there. pitch it. Mm-hmm. And then I'm tripping at the fact that he used the term propaganda. Now, we done got smacked around by God for uh, quite a few times to have it drilled into our head what propaganda means. When they mm-hmm. say propaganda, what does it mean? It means you're being lied to. Exactly. Pretty much what Edward Bernays said. Mm-hmm. Here, George Lucas wants to go back and look at the, the old lies, the lies of old, and summarize them together in a, in a quasi-coexist fashion. Mm-hmm. Which is why we would say it's very theosophical in nature because it wants to find a common thread to tie all religions together and, pre- and present what I would say is a pseudo-religion. Now, what's scarier then is that if that's really the goal behind the scenes, it means Star Wars is a precursor, a John the Baptist, to getting the culture conditioned to accept a one-world religion. Yes. It's a forerunner to preparing the culture for the Antichrist the replacement Messiah that will come and will offer an alternative form of religion. Mm -hmm. You can have superhuman feats. 
you could do superhuman things. Just tap into the force or take this pill. <laughs> yeah. The force is in you. The force is in the pill. Go ahead. Tap I, into it. And I think it was insightful for the Holy Spirit to have us do our new age episode just a few weeks ago. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. That, that is that, pretty interesting. It lays the groundwork for this to fit right into that. Right. And yeah. and for Star Wars to be the propaganda wing of the, the new world religion. Isn't that crazy? Uh-huh. And it's it's been taken over by one of the one of the uh most prolific media powerhouses right now with Disney. Yes. Which means Star Wars is not done. No, like it's George not. George Lucas planted a seed that is blossoming into a tree. Oh yeah. And they're going to keep going, which means this rhetoric is going to keep being reinforced. It's it's crazy. And do you know where George Lucas didn't actually cultivate this idea on his own? Of what, Star Wars or? or what? Of the, the, the underlying messaging. Well, hang on. Before we even go into that, we've got to, there's so much in that clip. We have to pause because he talked about Indiana Jones and Star Wars. Oh, I meant to, yeah, I meant to talk about that. Yeah. And from, from a, a creator standpoint, he goes that Indiana Jones, aside from some messaging based or, or pointed at um, archaeology and myths that we believe, is mostly an entertainment movie. But Star Wars, on the other hand, is not. It's crazy that that's how they view their products. You know, Like, oh, this wild? one's just kind of for fun. This one's not. You know why that's so mind-blowing? Because Why? we're taught to evaluate things as consumers, not producers. So as consumers, these are two unrelated products for our consumption. The idea that there's a single producer behind these two products and that understands the distinctive differences between those products. I don't mess up the trans movement. Um, is, is, is mind-blowing to our consumer-driven mindset. And the reason we have to have a consumer-driven mindset, according to um, uh, John Taylor Gatto, is because it helps produce a controllable electorate. The public is more controllable when they are consumers as opposed to when they are producers. Just look at this reality. A, a producer-oriented um, society would have instinctively known these are two different products and possibly been looking at who created the products? A consumer-driven market doesn't necessarily instinctively know they're two, they're two different and created products. We just have two products. Don't even right. really know the movie house it came from, let alone who the director was or who the producers were or who the writer was. Who where where is the brain that this comes from? This is somebody's brainchild. Mm-hmm. No, no, this just comes from some company called THX Certified Lucasfilm. That's all we know. Yeah. Right. Not that this comes from George Lucas himself on Skywalker ranch contemplating these things. Yeah. And I want to know what a Skywalker is. It, well, the original name for Luke Skywalker was Luke uh, sky killer, sky killer or star killer. It might've been star killer because they, they brought it back with star killer base in some of the newer movies. Okay. But I think they softened it up to Skywalker because he had a lot of ideas in his, in his pocket 
that didn't actually make it and had to go through um, stages of change to make it on the big screen. Okay, which is fascinating in its own right. But as soon as I hear Skywalker, it sounds to me like it, it has a Native American-esque tone to it. Does it sound anything like the Prince of the Power of the Air? To me, no. <laughs> but the reason I say okay. the reason why Skywalker probably would evoke that type of thought of me is from the idea of a skinwalker. Oh, okay. I gotcha. Right. And, and that's a more of a, a Native American quote unquote folklore. I think it's a real thing. But the, the shape shifters and all of that that happen. Okay. So as soon as I hear Skywalker, I'm like, what are we talking about? That sounds a little too close to home. So I don't know. Right. I, I don't have any back history or story on that, but I was really curious because it's become such a well-known name. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have anything on Skywalker, but I do have a little bit. You were talking about the seed and the brainchild of where this stuff comes from. And Lucas, George Lucas actually um, contributes a lot of his ideology to Joseph Campbell. He wrote a book called uh, hero with a thousand faces. And okay. he was, he was uh, actually a student of Carl Jung. So they're both proponents in bringing Gnosticism in to, to the societal mind. But just, just so you don't take my word for it, uh, Luke is actually at a, an event. Thanks Joseph for being, um, for assisting him in uh, being able to come up with this. Star Wars producer-director, George Lucas. About 10 years ago, I set out to write a children's film. I had an idea of doing a modern fairy tale. Stumbled across a hero with a thousand faces. After reading uh, more of Joe's books, I began to understand how I could do this. It was a great gift. Uh, and, uh, and a very important moment. If I don't, you know, it's possible that if I hadn't run across that, I would still be writing Star Wars today. That's interesting. Not just that he was influenced by, but if it wasn't for this guy in his book, Hero with a Thousand Faces, he might not have even been able to finish Star Wars. That is. I, I have never heard of the book, don't know what it's about. Based on its title, I'm already concerned. Oh, yeah, it's bad. I mean, say you can't judge not a book by its cover, but I think you can definitely judge it by its title. <laughs> oh, I think so. And I, I pulled up, I didn't know a whole lot about him, so I had pulled up on Wikipedia says that a lot of his uh, the influences of Joseph Campbell, Frederick Nietzsche, Karl Marx, Charles Darwin, Sigmund Freud, and and Carl Jung all make the list. That that's a pretty toxic societal list of names. Right. Right. So here's a question and, I've got. Yeah. If, if we're talking hero with a thousand faces. Just yes. looking at coded language, we know hero doesn't necessarily mean the good, brave guy who does the courageous thing. But mm -hmm. from a biblical standpoint, the heroes of old were associated with the Nephilim. Okay. After the Tower of Babel, Nephilim kings got multiple names. Uh-huh. Is it possible? I have no idea what this book is about. But is it possible it could be alluding to... Nephilim kings that or a Nephilim king that goes by multiple names. I don't think so. Not at all. No, because I think what he's really talking about is Gnosticism. And he's talking about the hero that we think is a hero. Uh -huh. So like 
Jesus and Yahweh. Okay. They have a thousand faces because they're not really who they claim to be. Okay. And I actually have a, let me play a clip for you that where he expounds on his thoughts on Yahweh a little bit for any, for Mr. Skept, right? If he's been listening and he's like, you guys are reaching, this isn't an inversion. The emperor is not really the, the God archetype. Well, let's just listen to the, the guy who helped fill in all the gaps for George Lucas when it came to Star Wars. This is what he has to say. Now, it's a great puzzler to well-trained Christians to come across the trickster hero because he's both a kind of devil and fool and the creator of the world. Now, that trickster trait turns up in uh, deities like Yahweh. Yahweh's a trickster. He lets people build a building, and then because it gets to be three stories high, he's afraid it's going to wreck heaven, and he comes down and, and, and floods the world. That's a trickster stunt. That's a ridiculous act. And uh, we think it quite normal for a, for a deity to behave that way. If a human being behaved that way, we'd send him to a lunatic asylum. And here you have the deity coming through as the, as the trickster, as the destroyer, as the disruptor of programs. Yahweh's full of this kind of thing. Seems Simpster, like the type right? of guy we know. Seems like somebody we should have at church right now. <laughs> you know what's Why wild? Is that? Oh, I'm being facetious. What's wild though is that not only is this a complete mischaracterization of of Yahweh and of the biblical story, but it's also a very common character attack. But what's embedded in this, or, or not embedded, what's more obfuscated and obscured that he's talking about is actually the Babylonian god Enki. Really? Who's a trickster God? Okay. And there's this idea that that's where the Bible gets the idea of Yahweh. Okay. So while he's giving this, um, I'm not even diluted while he's giving this rather perverted straw man characterization of God, what he's really delivering to the listener is a Babylonian idea of who Yahweh was. Interesting. That's really did you also about it. did you also notice that he actually gets his information wrong for someone that's so prolific and so influential that he actually tells the story incorrectly? I was stuck on the fact that the Tower of Babel was only three stories. Right, it was only three stories, but then he claims that he sent the flood after the Tower of Babel. Right, that's not what happened. Right, it's not. That was prior to. Right, so even his. I mean, if you're gonna attack a character, at least get your story straight. But you got to be careful not to attack the guy because oftentimes, as is the case with people that perpetrate crimes, whether physical or intellectual, the perpetrator can also be the victim. And in as much as he's talking about being a Yahweh, being a trickster God, he reveals even by his own inaccuracies that he too is being tricked. Oh, that's a good point. You just pointed out the fact that he can't even get the story right. And apparently that story is very important for him to justify why he feels like, you know, Yahweh should be thrown in an insane asylum. Personally, I think the person that can't get those facts right and is going out there and purporting it as though they got it right and then cross-checked it might be a candidate. <laughs> I got to be yeah. careful because I've said a few incorrect facts on air. 
So that's why I said <laughs> might be a candidate. Might, just maybe. Might. Don't know for sure. Well, we'll have to have further examination. <laughs> but that's the yeah. guy who provided the influence for Lucas to finish up his project. Mm-hmm. The guy that said that Yahweh is a trickster god, and if he was a human, he'd belong in an insane asylum. Interesting. Uh-huh. Just because he was gonna, th- because we were gonna build a tower that was just too tall, right? Like that's really <laughs> what God's upset about. It's it sounds like a like a like a toddler. Like I was just doing this. This is all I was doing. Right. You're not supposed to do that. Your tower shouldn't be bigger than my mountains. <laughs> yeah, but it gets it gets a little bit more disturbing too because we talk about the different aspects of the satanic control matrix. And it'd be the problem is we just come at entertainment or Hollywood and think that it's just entertainment. Okay. You know, a lot of times we, we forget, and even you and I get swept into just being entertained. You know, it's, it's, it actually takes active effort to switch on our minds and look at what we're actually being presented with. Right. And, I mean, sharing information is one thing, but to to really let sink in the idea that they are trying to influence you, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes that seems like a stretch. Sometimes it seems like we're just, you know, we're filling in the gaps. You know, Skept, Mr. Skept is, is going to push back on that idea. Um, and what was it, Lennon that said, you know, just give me one generation or, or, or give me the, what is it, one generation of the children, something along those lines? Yeah, he can change the world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you noticed in one of the previous clips, George Lucas said that he was writing a children's story. Yeah. I think it was on, wasn't that the last clip. Oh, no, it was the one where, yeah, we were just thinking Joseph. Well, the last clip was Joseph. The ch- The clip before that was him thanking Joseph and saying okay. that he was trying to write a children's thing. But it's interesting. George Lucas actually comes out and tells us why he wanted to write two children. But then when I started to go into Star Wars, they said, why are you making a children's film? I said, well, because I think I can have more of an influence on people. And I think I can have things to say that I can actually influence kids, you know, adolescents. <laughs> what are you? Excuse me. What do you say back to that? I don't know. I'm almost at a loss after making the case and then having him say that. Like, I don't even know. <sighs> at the it's very sad. least, you have to recognize then, as you said before, there's an intent to influence. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, he's trying to influence generations. Yeah, it's not just entertainment. Right. And then, yeah, it's still just blowing my mind the fact that from from young to Campbell to Lucas to the minds of children, because they intentionally want to change the minds of children. Say satanic brainwashing. Yeah, but that's the most effective form. Get the children. Get the people who are not uh, inclined to being able to think rationally about what's happening, right? Get them, influence them at a young, impressionable age, distract them with all the glitz and the glam, and imprint these seeds, these ideas that will manifest and germinate years later in their life. 
it had me thinking about, you know, we've talked to uh, a lot of other epic podcasters, uh, Ghost from My Third Eye, Matt T from The Great Deception, and uh, Ryan from Dangerous World. Mm-hmm. And, and they all talked about how they weren't really into the Marvel movies, right? They right. seemed a little immature for them. Right. Until we kind of broke broke them up and, and, and exposed a lot of the messaging that's in there. And there's a part of me, a, a very small part, that was like, ouch. Yeah, yeah, I get Kind that. of childish. But then when I realized what Lucas is saying, that he picked children as his select demographic because he wanted to influence them. I was like, that's why with more child-oriented content like Marvel is why this messaging is so much more, it's, it's so much clearer. It's so much more specific, so much deeper in this stuff geared toward children because you have a better chance of indoctrinating them into this before they even know what's going on. Right. Right. That's why, like we say, um, paying attention to that impressionable stage and age range is so important and so vital for a parent to stay on top of because it's not an accident. It's, you know, when you're talking about that little pain, that little hurt that you felt for a moment, like I'm, I like the immature stuff. Mm-hmm. You like the sophisticated stuff. You couldn't get into Marvel. It's a little too juvenile, but I like it. What does that say about me? I've thought that it's funny how often we can get drawn into superficial lines of comparison. And we draw a sense of worth from mediocre places. And here's what I mean by that. Let's take it out of the Marvel Star Wars dynamic for a second. Let's jump a little bit larger. You, you talk to people, you and I, we love watching movies, right? And we'll run mm-hmm. into people who really are avid book readers. And they love books. And the argument becomes immediately, which one's better, books or movies? Right. And oh, 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 oh I, I, I'm a reader. I read lots of books. I consider myself to be a very sophisticated and educated individual. I don't have time <laughs> for those juvenile films. I don't, need to be, I don't need to be serenaded with special effects. I am a child of the mind. The the intellect and the imagination is where I live. And books stimulate the mind. Right? You get those type <laughs> yeah. of arguments. And I, I get it. I think, even me, I've taken the other position of I think movies are better, right? And mm-hmm. all, all this rhetoric that I'll come up with. At the end of the day, it's poppycock. Right? It's It's really like asking a person who got blown to bits, which one's better? A laser guided bomb or a missile? <laughs> Which one's better? Like, do I really care? They do the, they, they, at the end of the day, it does similar damage, right? At the end of the day, I'm blown apart, I'm destroyed. Mm-hmm. From the enemy's perspective, do you think the enemy is running around going, I really prefer to destroy humanity through books? It's just the, it's just better. And I have to maintain a high degree of better. <laughs> Doesn't care. These are compromised mediums. Mm-hmm. Not to say books are bad, not to say movies are bad, but it's the content behind it that's important. And if you're getting compromised content, whether in written form or visual form, it will do different types of damage, but it will do damage nonetheless. I think it is asinine to argue which one's better. 
And That's I a think good point. We, I think we get drawn into that. The same thing could be said for Marvel or Star Wars. Marvel may be juveniles. Star Wars may be more adult. At the end of the day, is it doing more or doing anything to enrich your relationship with God or to impede and destroy your relationship with God? Because I think arguing which one's better as though they're both good, like, you know, cyanide and strychnine, and they both kill you (laughs) is a very mute point to have. And I think it puts us in a form of deception because we may think because we have the preferred, you know, you and I used to joke around, how do you prefer your sin? Satan's got Uh 31 flavors like Baskin and Robbins. I can give it to you (laughs) any way you want. Arguing Uh that vanilla chocolate chip sin is better than Rocky Road sin is asinine. Right. Because I'm putting poison in both of them. I just want to kill you. That's all I want to do. I don't care which one you eat. Eat both. He'll Mm -hmm. die twice as fast. (laughs) You know what I mean? And we get distracted and caught up in that that level of minutia. And I think that the the bad thing is we have the tendency as human beings to think that our preferred method of sin is safer and less dangerous than someone else's. I think you're right. That's the real trick, I think. That's what Joseph Campbell should have been on. Talk about a trickster. (laughs) That's the trickster thing right there is to convince people that their particular form of how they like their sin is the safe form. It won't bother you. In the meantime, Satan's trying to kill us any way he can. Right. Right. Marvel, Disney, Star Wars. You know, it was that Lucasfilm before it was bought. Mm-hmm. Pixar. Yep. It doesn't matter. Universal, Columbia, Sony. You could keep going. Lionsgate, MGM. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah, yeah. TSG. Like TSG, huh? Yeah, that's the one where they shoot the little arrow through the, the little heads of the uh, the axes. I start memorizing movie houses based on their intro. Okay, okay. Orion. You can keep going. All of these places. These are just outlets. None is better than the other. If right, it all, but it's all... If it's all polluted, Yeah, it's all going to kill you. Right, if it's all corrupted, if it's all polluted, if it's all filth, if it affects your relationship with God, None of it's better. We should be asking, is it polluted? Not which one's better. That's a good point. I'm Jason. And I think we have to this message. (laughs) I think it's important to, to lay all that out so we can plug in, you know, our assessments of movies or us, you know, taking the film off of, of people's eyes, because if we're, if we're not able to plug it in to that bigger picture, then all people are going to end up hearing is this. Here's the problem with that. If you're supposed to be a well-prepared army, and if you're supposed to be tactically mindful, if you're supposed to have your, your, your head swiveled on right, and you've got good situational awareness, you know what's going on, you realize that you're serving in a hostile war zone, right? You're not sleeping with the switch. Then if people are coming up to you to ask you battle-related questions, If you sound anything like that clip we just played, you look ridiculous. Uh Uh-huh. And that's not the intention. That's why scripture says, do not take the Lord's name, the Lord your God in vain. Don't take his name in vain. Not meaning don't don't use profanity. Like there's a different commandment for that. 
don't misrepresent the the person whose name you carry. That's the point. In order to do that, we have to, as scripture says, be ready to give an answer of the hope that lies within us. That hope is that we've placed our trust in Jesus Christ and that he will fulfill his messianic mandate to restore all things, not just to deal with our moral decadence or our moral corruption, but also to restore the created order back to its full intent, meaning it no longer operates not just under the curse of sin and death as imposed by the, the, uh, the failure of Adam and Eve, but it no longer operates under the various subsystems of evil that were instituted in Genesis six with the rebellion and the incursion by the fallen angels. So if we're going to give a hope as to why people should be trusting Jesus Christ, we have to be able to answer some of these questions and believe it or not, most of the questions you're going to get, you can kind of prepare for because they're going to be questions that influence the public, the public psyche. Right. Start looking at things that are that are popular. And people are going to want to talk about it. So we got to be able to talk about things. You can't live your life in a bubble, in a in a holy shell, if you will. Yes, you're not supposed to be corrupted by these things and trafficking in them. But that doesn't mean don't know about them. If that was the case, if Christians weren't supposed to. Let me start over. If that was the case and serious followers of Christ were not supposed to familiarize themselves with the goings on of the world, then how in the world did Paul uproot himself and go into the middle of pagan society, high society, where they like to do a lot of thinking about all sorts of convoluted pagan things and sit down, listen for a minute, look around and go, "Mm, I see you got a shrine to everybody. You got idols. You've covered all bases. You even have an idol to the God you don't know about. Here, let me talk to you about him. He shouldn't have been there at all. He should have been living in this holy righteous bubble. Mm -hmm. But he had to immerse himself in culture, not to be affected by it, but to affect it. And if you're going to affect it, you need to be able to answer the questions of our day. We have to be able to address the things that are pertinent on the minds of society. That means we got to be able to answer stuff, even about things we might not, some of us might not care that much about. (laughs) We might not be a Star Wars fan. That's okay. You got to be able to address how Star Wars impacts society. You know, you need to be able to know, listen, has the influence that Star Wars has amassed just been contained merely to Hollywood? I mean, if it has, that's one problem. That's one issue to deal with, you know? If it was just about affecting how films were shot, okay, it's not theological concern. You know, we can let that roll. But if that level of storytelling has been a force that helps to take our culture into the dark side, we as followers of Christ should have something to say about it. Absolutely. If you can't, if you don't have much to say, if you think you're safe because you don't watch it, if you think your kids are safe because somehow you've managed to take the the uh, the Kraken that is Disney and with all of its lascivious tentacles and wicked little, what do they call those things on the end of the octopus? They call those suckers. 
something. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, call it I, I don't know what it's called. Yeah, I don't want to call it that. But if, if you've somehow <laughs> been able to escape the reach of Disney and you think that you are living out on a plantation where you, that's bad language. You think you're living <laughs> out. <laughs> you think you are somewhere safe where you are not. And you have forgotten the fact that you, your children, your family, your neighbors, your neighborhood, your community, your state, your country. In fact, the entire planet that you live on is a hostile zone. Then I think you need to avail yourself to a safety briefing by a master sergeant. Something that would probably go a little bit like this. You are not in Kansas anymore. You are on Pandora, ladies and gentlemen. Respect that fact every second of every day. Out there beyond that fence, every living thing that crawls, flies, or squats in the mud wants to kill you and eat your eyes for jujubes. You wish to survive, you need to cultivate a strong mental attitude. You got to obey the rules. People don't like obeying rules. They don't. There's a. There's oh, I a, mean, only the Sith deal in absolute. Right, right. I was <laughs> going to take a page out of my favorite movie and say, "There's a line from Top Gun that says the rules of Top Gun exist for your safety and that of your crew. They are not flexible, nor am I. Either obey them or you are history. Is that clear?" One of the best lines in that film. I like that. That's good. People have to understand there's a reason why we have rules. Mm-hmm. Right. And what's the first one that people need to start adhering and reorienting their life around? Because obey is, Edu- a, is that weird word. Right, right, right. It's Makes like people old, feel uncomfortable. Yeah, it's like old English. Obey. You know, nobody <laughs> liked that one. So let's say reorient our life toward. Ooh, I like that. But it's uh, educate yourself. We've got to know what the Bible says. We have to know war doctrine. That's how you're able to develop a strong mental aptitude. And the first thing that that I need to point out that scripture tells us is the Holy Spirit is not just some personless force. John 15, 26 says, but when the helper, and this is the amplified version, right? So helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, and standby. When he comes, who I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who comes from the Father, he will testify and bear witness about me. None of those things are titles of just a a force, a personless force. Right. right, right. He intercedes, he advocates, he comforts, he counsels, he strengthens. He is a person. Get to know him. He cares, but he cannot be manipulated. He can't be controlled. It's not a spiritual vending machine. At all. He's not a genie. True. He can be your greatest wish, but he's not there to make wishes come true. Ooh. That's a shirt. I like that. (laughs) That's nice. That's nice. Scripture warns us to guard our heart and not to reach out with our feelings. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Don't reach out with your feelings. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. Right. You guard the heart. You're not supposed to be led by it. Exactly. And scripture anticipates that there is no other gospel. Similarity is not 
sameness, just because something looks similar or even is similar in a couple of different ways doesn't mean that it's the same. Paul tells us in Galatians 1.6, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who has called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not, <clears throat> which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we've preached to you, let him be cursed. Was I wrong that the first thing I saw was that Marvel was here in the Bible? Marvel's in the Bible? Yeah, I didn't even know. I'm like, they've been around a while. <laughs> well, I mean, if they're telling the same stories of old. I'm just saying, even Paul's talking about them. He got, I got Marvel. <laughs> I think that's a got him on Blu-ray, right? I think so, a yeah. little bit. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should have gone with the amplified version for that one. Next rule: Do not add nor take away from <laughs> scripture. Just do what it says. Right, right. Oh, that's funny. but yeah. Even if an angel from heaven preaches and teaches something different, even if Star Wars teaches something different, even if um, Joseph Campbell, Carl Jung, Disney, like all of the movie houses that you listed. George Lucas. They, George Lucas. If they teach something other than the gospel that is in the Bible, it says, let them be cursed. We don't play around. We deal in absolutes. See, now, now, listen, I don't know who wrote the Bible, okay? But one of the things I can see here is there is not a high enough level of sensitivity. Okay, it's okay for George Lucas to have his truth and you can have your truth and there's no need for us to be running now talking about higher levels of curse because I've heard of cursed. I have yet to hear of a cursed. Like that's an, a, a higher degree of cursation and we don't it's need to be going around. Thing. Exactly. I, I, I thought you Christians aren't even supposed to be cursing. Okay, so I, I don't know how I feel about this. Feelings are important here. I don't feel like this is a safe place, okay? We should be okay to just be ourselves. You ain't feeling that? No, no, not today. Well, I mean, here, here, here. Reel reel those feelings back in. Reel them in? Reel them in. Well, here's the thing. It's interesting to me that as a liturgical body politic, ooh, I like that that professes the lordship of Jesus Christ. And we express fealty to his crown, right? I got to stop watching Mm -hmm. John Wick series. (laughs) We are constantly told not to try and persuade people, right? Just kind of keep your stuff in your, your, your field, keep them within your churches. Don't go out here trying to proselytize people. Who do you think you are? Okay. I hear you. And I raise you one. If it's who do we think we are, who does George Lucas think he is? Why does he get to create a product that proselytizes people to his point of view and mm-hmm. not be not be demonized about it? Not that I'm advocating for the demonization of George Lucas. I'm just saying, why is he not penalized for going out and trying to make converts to his way of life? I think we got to realize as a body, as a, as a organized unit, we have to fight. Now that fighting is not physical combat per se. It's ideological warfare. 
we have to pick up the tools to make sure that we first don't fall victim to the propaganda of you should stay in your own sandbox mm-hmm. while they got bulldozers outside of our sandbox scraping up everything. Right, right. Secondly, we should take the fight to them again ideologically. You have to battle the ideas. This is so important that this is codified in rule number two. Do not cede any ground to your enemy. The Bible gives us explicit authorization in a three-phase step assault plan. What you do, you are supposed to take the fight to your enemy. Number one, you expose his position. You expose what he's doing. You expose his ideas. You expose his methodologies. You expose the philosophies. You get this authorization from Ephesians 5.11. Don't have any fellowships with the work of darkness, but you do expose them. Secondly, you have to resist them. That's James 5.7, which says, subject ourselves to the authority of scripture and use that authority to resist the devil. And then lastly, you have to tear down. You need to depose what he's built. You get that authorization from 2 Corinthians 10.5. Demolish every argument and pretension that sets itself up against the God of the Bible and what he has said is true and keeps people from knowing him. That second part is really important. It's not just tear down the arguments, but realize that if you don't, those arguments keep people from knowing God and knowing the truth, which means it keeps them in a prison of lies. Mm -hmm. We have to actively fight against that. If we're not busy doing that, then I don't know what in the world we're doing. Yeah, I mean, that's why that's why we have this podcast. That's why we're doing the film Over Your Eyes on Star Wars is because we're trying to demolish those ideas and those arguments that are literally from the mouths of their authors set up against God. Chris, have you ever watched like special forces people and see how they train? No. You've never seen a documentary on how special forces people train? The stuff um, they I've go seen through? Bits and pieces. I don't think I've watched a whole one. Like, you know, like how they go through budge training, how they have to deal with tough adversity, how they're constantly pushing themselves. You know, I mean, I I went through You Can't Hurt Me or Can't Hurt Me with the David Goggins, his first book. We went through that that, one together. That's good. That's a good idea. Yeah. I think maybe we should start doing stuff like that. We should start training hard. We should start pushing. What? Yeah. I think you're Jason. Wait, are you there? Jason, cutting out. Christopher. Cutting out. You got strong signal. Hello, baby. Hello. Squeak twice. (laughs) That's funny. No, but I mean, it's a church, dude. We have to like really press hard. It's interesting Mm -hmm. to me what things special forces people will go through to achieve their objective. I was on, I'm going to switch to my British. I was on the telly (laughs) watching uh, this YouTube documentary. I think I'm going to send it to you on snipers. Okay. And uh, one guy, uh, I don't know if this was uh, John. I don't know if this was um, Hathcock or not. I think it was. This legendary sniper went out. It took him four days to crawl to his position that he was going to fire at. And he's crawling in between enemy patrols. Four days, belly crawling. Like, put Jeez. your head down against the deck. Pull yourself and your weapon inch by inch. And you got to do it in a way that doesn't give you away. And you've got patrols. And he said there were quite a few times that they almost walked on him. Not realizing he was there. 
Jeez. All of this to get to a position that he could fire a shot to take out an enemy general. And it was considered a suicide mission. I'm like, four days? Wow. I don't know how much meals you could get in four days. I don't know how much water you could get in four days. I know at some point you had to pee on yourself. This is just to achieve an objective. Once he took the shot, then he had to crawl back to get to safety. I don't know if it took him another four days or not. Right. That's one sniper, one mission. Like when you start hearing about some of the stuff these people go through that the stuff they do in training is wild. Mm -hmm. Also that they can operate effectively in their, their combat area. And we should take our combat area that serious. Is that what you're saying? No, we should take our combat area more serious. Oh, okay. We should be dedicating time to preparing ourselves for the eventual conflict that's coming. We should be breaking down ideas. We should be running through sword drills. We should be asking ourselves, man, if somebody came to me and they were like, yo, what do you think about Star Wars? What can I say about it? What would I say about it? Well, now you got something. Exactly. And that's important because there, there sometimes is a tendency, I think, for people to rely on other people to do stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's not a healthy attitude, right? It's In not. fact, that violates the third rule. Right, where we're supposed to pray like it's all up to God and work like it's all up to us. And we say it, and it sounds good, but if you really think about it. It does like sound put your, good. It, <laughs> it, it does. Yeah, it sounds like it walks. Right, yeah. it does. <laughs> but if you really, like, really contemplate what your prayer life would look like if you weren't able to do anything. Hmm. If we're if we're really talking about praying, like, every aspect of our life is up to the hands of God, and we have to ask him for every, every bit of it that we want because we are incapable of anything, I think our prayer life would look different. I think that's all we would do is pray. Right. Pray without ceasing. I've, I read that somewhere. <laughs> Sounds familiar. You know, and it, and it says to, to, to cast our cares on, on Christ, you know, in, in everything, uh, prayer and supplication, have our request known, like really to, to let that sink in, pray like it is all up to him. Like none of this is you doing it. Now that's tough. Cause you got to set your pride aside a little bit. Yeah. Cause I mean, I know when there, there are times where I will talk to you about stuff that's going on in my life. And I really think if I could just talk to the person that's annoying the hell out of me, I could probably fix it. I just (laughs) need to find the right set of words that will make Mm -hmm. sense. And then it'll be good. I don't need to bother God with this. He's got, he's got big (laughs) stuff. He's doing right. Like this little trivial crap in my life is not of concern to him on a galactic scale. What are you talking about? I come to God Mm -hmm. when he's he's doing real transactions, (laughs) right? Not my 45 cents over here, but that's not what we're told. We're actually mm-hmm. told take everything to him. That's a yeah. wild idea. I don't know if many people have even had a father experience where they can go to their dad for everything. Yeah. It's kind of hard to translate that idea. You know, there seems to be an implied idea that some things we just shouldn't bother the King of Kings and Lord of Lords with. All right. Uh-huh. Some things should, shouldn't go on the president's desk. All right, I should be able to exercise a certain amount of autonomy and make a well-informed decision. And to the degree, God has given us a brain to do that. 
but even our brain should be governed by the rules set forth in scripture and scripture still takes us back to the throne. So there is still a large degree of conversation we should be having with him because there's so much we don't know and can't control in our lives. I don't know in Mm -hmm. the next two minutes what's going to happen. There literally could be a jet flying over my home with the very loose engine stub and the daggone engine pile I let loose and it fall out in my yard. I don't know. I live near an airport. It's possible. It is possible. Now that's going to bother me. <laughs> Take it to God. It's all right. See what I'm saying? We don't know what's going to happen. You know, we don't know if somebody's going to be drunk and 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 flip flip a curb and run into your house or not take you out while you you taking the trash cans out. You you don't mm-hmm. know. I know I'm dealing with pretty drastic things, but my point is we don't know what's happening. We probably should go to the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, more frequently and discuss things. Right. I'm not even opposed to the idea of asking, yo, what should I eat for breakfast? Mm-hmm. Not to not to belittle our own ability to think and not to bug God, but probably more so from the perspective of. Hey, what if God was like, you should eat a hearty meal. You're going to have a very busy day today. <laughs> right? You're like, really? Right. Don't skip breakfast today. Nah, Don't do you going to need breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Believe you me. Nah, I'm good. Pop-Tarts it is. Well, it was downhill from there. Right? <laughs> or what What if he really gave really insightful ideas? You know, God, hey, they're talking about flipping this whole economy. Right? They're talking about flipping the dollar and going into a crypto dollar. Is this the time for me to invest? Is this the time for me to save? Is this the time for me to get this man? Dude, I'm saying personally, I make purchase decisions and don't stop to ask God, should I do this? Mm-hmm. Hey, purchase decisions. Like I got the money. It's not going to take away from too much. You know I mean? I've already, <laughs> it's not going to take away from too much. It's not going to take away from what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And I got some discretionary funds. How often do we stop and ask God, what should I do with it? They're my discretionary funds. Like, what if God was like, I could have prepared you. There was a famine that happened in biblical times under Joseph that the president of, and I'm using our, our words, the president of Egypt got some warning about, but had no idea really what it meant. Couldn't decipher the warning. Went Mm -hmm. to his magicians. They sucked. They sucked so bad. It was it was a bad situation. Everybody thought they were going to die. Mm-hmm. Right? Word gets down to Joseph in prison. It's like, hey, things ain't going good. Somebody heard that you can interpret this. King snatches him up out of prison. Like, hey, talk to me. Heard you could you could tell me what's going down. And Joseph interprets it. And people are saved. What if he hadn't talked to God about that? A lot of people would have died. Yeah, probably including Joseph. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a you're spot on when you say pray like it's all up to God. But I like the second half of that, which is that it's not all on him. You can't take a fatalistic approach. You cannot be lazy because you need to work like it's all up to you. Right. Which means if you know you're going to have a hard day, don't start it with Pop-Tarts. Exactly. Have yourself a hearty meal. Like take on the responsibility like it is all up to you. And when you layer these things on top of one another, I think that's really where you have success. I'd agree. So some things I think that we should pray about is I think that we should we should ask God to help us not fall victim to the subtle deceits of the enemy, like the deceit that we see in Star Wars. I think that we can also pray that we actually get to know the Holy Spirit as he is. 
not learn how to interact with him beyond just thinking that it's this, this force that's out there, recognizing that he's a person and knowing who that person is. I think one of the things we should also pray about is that God would break us free from any sort of alignment that we have gotten into by embracing these systems, these, these systems of evil that come from these movie houses. You know, when you when you become part of a Star Wars franchise, and by part, I mean embracing it, you're also embracing the kingdom from which it comes from. There's an allegiance that happens. So I think we should pray that God shows us how to break that or breaks it for us. That's a good point. Thanks. Thanks for adding that. Yeah. But when it comes to work, we have to pay attention, which means it's going to cost you something, but pay attention, question and search out the answers we don't know. Don't just ask, huh, I wonder where the idea of the force comes from. But you know, we've talked about this before. You got to search out to have answers. Right, right. And we've said this one before too. Change your interaction with the media. Watch a movie with the lights on. Turn the subtitles up. Maybe turn the volume down a little bit. Maybe pause it periodically as you watch it. And as you change this interaction, you kind of, you effectively break the spell, right? Because it pulls you into a trance. You do. I'm a big fan for turn the subtitles on. Yeah. I, I think for a number of reasons. One, it increases your ability to interact with the material because you're watching and you're reading. It increases, it increases your ability to read. And it increases your ability to discern faster what's happening, what's being said. Because you don't have to wonder, okay, what did they say? It sounded like they said this. Mm-hmm. But then you could actually read it. And I also think it, it helps to increase your retention of what's happening because you're engaging more of your senses. It's not just listening, watching, it's listening, watching and reading and right. reading for comprehension. Right. It's, it, it seems like it's a challenge to do at first. Um, and I think that that is, that is due to the fact that for many of us, it's a new skill and learning a new skill oftentimes has a certain degree of difficulty with it because it's new. But with frequency and consistency, it becomes easier and easier. I used to think that people were crazy to watch it with subtitles. I was like, why do you want those words distracting you from the picture and all of that? Yeah. Yeah. But now, I mean, uh, I was recently blessed with a TV and it's a smart TV. So I got to load in, you know, the streaming services or whatever that I use. But then I also had to go back and select for each one of them to turn the subtitles on. Because I was like, something seems wrong. What am I missing? Oh, the words. So, yeah. I mean, now I I don't think I ever watch a show or a movie without subtitles. Me on. neither. I don't really think about it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't distract as much as I thought it would. What it really helps do is break the trance of me falling falling visually into the spell of entertainment. Yep. It keeps my mind engaged because I have to read. So I, I recommend that because I think it's one of the, the easiest and most effective. Like I think it's more effective than just turning the lights on. Cause you can get used to the lights being on and still be who la la amazed by what's in front of you and back under the spell. Not That's that turning fair. lights on is bad. I, I just mm-hmm. think that once you start engaging in reading, you're well on your way to breaking that trance that happens when you get into uh, in front of the screen. You got to also remember not only is the TV designed as a, as an occult piece of technology, uh, but it's been scientifically proven since we want to claim we're a scientific uh, society 
It's been scientifically proven that your brain state changes within 30 seconds of being within a screen. Reading helps to resist that change. It keeps you in an active state of mind as opposed to being in an impressionable state of mind. Mm -hmm. That's one of the ways that you keep away from falling victim to the, again, I keep saying it victim to the trance because that's what entertainment is supposed to, to do to you. It detains you while something else enters. Mm -hmm. That's really the root structure of the word entertainment. And if you want to go the other way and say it's about amusement, muses were spiritual beings <laughs> that captivated yeah. you, right? They're, you're not supposed to be interacting with muses either. So you shouldn't be mm -hmm. watching it for amusement, <laughs> right? You're going to get engaged yeah. with this stuff, engage with it to study, to stack ammo because it's being stacked against you. Star Wars was a, a production. It is a product from the mind of a man who embraces pantheistic ideas at the very best says that there is something out there, but he can't possibly know, but he knows enough to try to convince you that you should know what this thing is either at the very least. It's a force. Mm -hmm. That means this is a, this is a designated product. You can't engage with it haphazardly. Right. Right. Every Sometimes predator is cute in its infantile <laughs> stage. Dude, I've been thinking about this. Every predator that we know as mm -hmm. a baby, it's relatively cute. You can't like mention one. Okay. But give me a predator. Alligator. A baby alligator is kind of cute. It is. It is. Name another one. Well, all of them that I'm thinking of are cute. Uh, you can't. I mean, lions, tigers, bears. Exactly. Little baby bear. It's the cutest uh -huh. thing ever. His <laughs> mother is a different thing. Uh-huh. Right. But I think it's a principle that God put in that that god allows us to absorb from from the fallen world that we live in oftentimes the most deadly things are cute in their infantile form that's gonna bother me later yep <laughs> it, it really is but the same goes with these ideas if we're just mm -hmm. engaging with them in their baby form if we're engaging with them from an entertainment perspective they seem innocent until they have a chance to germinate until your heart starts to harden, until you're like, I don't get God. I don't, I feel disconnected. I'm not even sure if this is a thing you will not. Right, draw it doesn't resonate with me anymore. Right. You won't draw a conclusion from hours upon hours ingesting star Wars without washing it and detoxing yourself from it without challenging the philosophical presuppositions of the film without engaging in the embedded and often obscured um, spiritual messaging. If you're not engaging in all of that and doing that, then yeah, you're going to be affected by it because you're bathing in sludge. Right. And, you know, while you pause it, because pausing is another one. I know, I think captions, like you were saying, or the subtitles is one of the best. But when you pause it, that really takes you out of it. It's one of the reasons we hate commercials. Yeah. You know, so you can pause it. But what that also allows you the opportunity to do is share the show. I like so that. You can pause your movie, share Operation Red Pill, and there you go. You're you're killing two birds with one stone. Nice, nice efficiency is next to <laughs> yes. godliness. Somebody said that once. <laughs> I don't know if that's in the Bible. <laughs> I didn't say it was in the Bible. I said somebody said it once. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. But I think you could also um, consider joining our Patreon. You can always find a lot of the stuff that we do at orppodcast.com. 
but you can become a supporter on Patreon. And it comes in three different tiers. So we have our cover fire tier. You can be a uh, first tier operator and you'll get all the links and resources we use to make the episode. You can be a tier two operator at Overwatch and that'll get you everything in the first tier plus the show notes that we actually use while running the episode. And then for those that are just going headlong into it, tier three operators bring the rain highest tier right now is you get everything in the lower tiers, but then you also get to participate in our monthly zoom call with both Jason and I, which and, and those are great love. They're fantastic. Absolutely. We just had one uh, about yeah. a week ago. So the next one I believe will be coming up um, right at the end of May, which should be May 20. Uh, I'm sorry, May 21st. Because May 28th is Memorial Day. Okay, that's right. We moved it up. Yep. Yeah. So May 21st, we'll be doing our May call. So yeah. don't worry. You can go away from Memorial Day and you won't miss out on the Operation Red Pill Zoom call. And we know how important that is to you, too. So that's why we wanted to move it up. So that way nobody was missing it. And those who wanted to join in could go ahead and get in for that for the price of like one and a half Starbucks coffees. Yep. Easy peasy. That's what I'm saying. Don't give it to Starbucks. <laughs> Contributed here, not get access to everything we got to offer, plus get in on these conversations. These conversations are dope because we cover a lot of stuff. You know, it's not just sitting there unstructured time. We like to talk about current events because we don't get a chance to always do that uh, with our show topics. And then we also get into upcoming projects that we've got. But then the favorite part is to open it up for questions. We open up the floor. People can ask us questions either pretty much whatever they want. A lot of times it's about stuff we've gone over where they maybe want some more explanation, which is cool. But other times they've got questions about stuff that's just been, you know, churning around inside and then they, they right. want a, an outlet and we welcome that as well. It's the, it's the point of the show where uh, it's the point of the call where things get a little spicy and that's all right. Mm-hmm. Cause we no, enjoyed it's it. Good. And I, we forgot to mention this in the beginning. Cause we were so set on, on May the 4th be with you. What was that? But um, we gained Mindy and Sarah on our Patreon. We did. We can't let the episode finish without mentioning them. So no. thank you for jumping on. I, I second that. I apologize. Like Christopher said, it, it wasn't even our fault, technically. It was really the force's fault. The force <laughs> had, had taken over. We was fighting. We was, down in, we was down in the trenches fighting. But in the midst thereof, we had neglected due to the assault that we were under to mention these two wonderful additions to the Patreon family. So I think they should Mindy, get an applause. Sarah, this is for you. <laughs> Welcome aboard. Fights on. <laughs> and now they left. They're, they're gone. <laughs> Nobody said anything about fighting. I got to go. <laughs> nope. That's too much. That's too much. <laughs> right. I need to sign up for the non-fight tier. How much is that? <laughs> there is not one exactly <laughs> but here's the last thing that you can do is remind yourself of what scripture tells us which is that we are never alone and we're not fighting alone god promised to never leave us and we have a community of believers all over the world and a loving god who intervenes on our behalf because one day we're not going to be caught between this this dark and this light side of things One day we will be free of occult and pagan influence. And one day we will actually get to know the Holy Spirit in person. 
But until then, we are deployed to this dystopian rock where we have to filter through embedded messages in movies, TV shows, and video games in order to remove the film that they put over our eyes. We'll be right back. 